0: Orloff et l'homme invisible. Un film fantastique. Coupez le doigt. Vous me faites mal.
1: Apporte-nous à
0: boire. Orloff et l'homme invisible. Ah, non. Le nouveau film de Pierre Chevalier interprété par Howard Vernon. Fernando Sancho Brigitte Carvin Francis Valladares Isabelle Del Rio Eva Nanska Orloff et l'homme invisible Votre prochain spectacle
2: Curse
1: of the devil, exorcism, a sacrifice, blessing or bestiality. The curse of the devil,
2: Satan in control of the body, and the
1: mind. My love will destroy the creation. I swear that you'll find.
3: Welcome back to the NashiCast. I am Rod
1: Barnett. I'm Troy Gwynn.
3: And joining us again is...
1: Bob Sargent.
3: Yes, indeed. The, uh, the official, unofficial third host of the NashiCast has returned in 2023. And this time out, whatever we're talking about this evening... It's his fault.
1: That's right. Yes, it is. (laughs) 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 What is the official title we're using for this show? This for this film that we're going. Well, I
2: I was thinking. I was thinking we could use the one that actually showed up on the print that I watched last night, which was um, Orloff against the Invisible Man.
3: Yeah, we're going to have to have a conversation about the various titles this yeah. yeah, on yeah, here. yeah. Uh, folks, yep. tonight this is a Beyond Nashy episode where we're going to talk about a film that does not involve Paul Nashy, but it does involve a handful of people who uh, were in ways connected to Nashy's film career, yep. some of them in different ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, tonight... Yep. On Beyond Nashi, we're talking about. Uh, well, I'll tell you what. I'll, I'll go with the title I initially knew it under, which was uh, the title on the cover of the uh, Image DVD, <laughs> the apparently out-of-print Image DVD. Oh yeah, um, man, it's almost. how uh, what is this like? 18 years old, maybe older. You, you mean
2: this one? I don't. Well, you can't see it in the dark, but there it is. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
3: it's the one. It's, if it's the one I'm holding up, then yes, that one. It's the, the Euroshot shot collection. collection.
1: Yeah, wow, nice. Well yes, done. sir. Well done, guys. Oh yes. It, it's two, even two two got the harmony. Euro.
2: It's got the Eurocine logo on the back, which is the a hallmark of trash and sleaze everywhere. Ah
3: mm-hmm. uh, yes, that particular production. As soon, as soon as you see that phrase on, on uh, as, a, as a production house, that was just one of those things where I suddenly know. Well, it's going to be cheap.
1: Mm-hmm. It's going to yep. be sleazy. Mm-hmm.
3: Yep. And it's going to be something that I need to be in the right frame of mind for. I.e., I need some beer.
1: Yep. <laughs> they always had that those uh, that black plastic binding, or, you know, or bordering around there on the yep. on the, the casing oh, yeah. there with it. The...
3: Well, tonight's offering is a film that uh, tries really hard to pretend that it's a Jess Franco film. Um, Orloff and the Invisible Man. That's the title that was grafted onto the cover of the DVD, uh, but. My god, so many titles. The on-screen title remains Orloff against the Invisible Man, yep. as you said. But oh my god. Okay, so first of all, let's let's talk about let's talk about the title that seems to get the most play on the internet, which is The Invisible Dead.
1: Oh, yeah. Which is completely nonsensical. But in a way, it just sort of fits with the film. (laughs) Because, you know, I mean, it's why not give it a title that makes no sense? And probably the
2: first time I saw it, because wasn't that one of those big box VHS tapes that it was in every video store you ever walked into, like back in the... Late '80s, probably, right?
3: Oh, and I and I completely ignored it in those days. Me too. Uh, yeah, yeah. I have no idea what you know. What I would, well, no, I can tell you exactly what I would have thought of it if I picked that thing up in my late teens or early twenties. Mm-hmm. I would have oh, thought, yeah. what in the fuck am I looking at here? <laughs> it, it, what is happening Funny. here? Oh, wait. There's some tits. Hold on. Wait. Maybe <laughs> I should watch all of this. Hold on.
2: Funny how we grow. <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> did 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 I? And wait. evolve. Yeah.
3: I don't, I don't know if I. I'm not sure that I would necessarily think mm. that I did. Anyway, well, I
1: had never seen this film. The, really, you, you guys had had prior experience. I hadn't. I'd never even Ooh. heard of this film until you until you guys said, "Yeah, well, it's what we'll do the show on." I'd never even heard of it. Uh, so yeah, so, and, and I think I can be forgiven for thinking that it was just automatically. And still wondered after I'd watched it, I I was thinking it was a Franco film. Yeah. Okay, but you guys, I guess, can confirm this once and for all for me that Pierre, or what's his name, Chevalier. Pierre, um, Pierre Chevalier is not a pseudonym for Jess Franco, right? I mean, he was a actual separate, separate he was a, guy. He
3: was a different guy, yeah.
1: Okay, yeah. yeah. And
3: uh, he apparently- I know like a
2: house director for yeah. semi, almost. Okay, right,
3: right. Somebody they seem to kind of hold in their back pocket and pull out when nobody mm-hmm. else was willing to do the job. Maybe I don't know.
1: Because <laughs> I kept going back. Yeah, I mean, I saw that he had his own, you know, IMDb page and all mm-hmm. this, but but. I mean, it is IMDb. You can do a lot of bizarre things on there. And I, I kept I, I would kept waffling back and forth because I kept thinking, okay, well, this is obviously not a pseudonym for Jess Franco. But then I watched the film and I'm like, good God, this film is so Franco-esque in so many ways. <laughs> and then I even saw that on one of Chevalier's films, Jess Franco is listed as a screenwriter. And so I thought, yep. like, well, is he a yep. pseudonym for Jess Franco? And so I kept kept bouncing back and forth on what, convincing myself one way or the other.
2: Well, the film's kind of schizoid in a way because, yes, Franco-esque, yes, but I even got at the beginning, uh, it's kind of Hammer, Hammer-esque, Hammer Studios-esque mm-hmm. in a way. In, which In I, some ways, yeah. In some ways, and we can, we can get into that when we mm-hmm. get into the plot. But, you know, I think w- one of the more compelling things about the title, of course, it says Orloff, which yes. raises the question, you know, the use of the Orloff character, so... Uh, yeah, well, it's not a Franco film, but is it canon? You know, it's like, well.
1: <laughs> oh, <laughs> man, canon. Wow, then you start getting to Orloff canon. Canon. Like it, but it's be.
2: like, well, he's Professor Orloff,
1: mm-hmm.
2: right? However, there is one point in the film, maybe about 20 minutes in, and I rewound it and I listened to it again. And he, he, Howard Vernon, who, of course, is Dr. Orloff, you know, he mm-hmm. he, uh, he actually refers to himself as Dr. Orloff. Yeah. I, and, so I'm like and, okay, well, there you
3: go. I've seen a lot of films with a character named Orloff mm-hmm. that, of course, all descend from the awful Doctor Orloff, and and of course we all know where the the title the the, the character's name came from. It came from a Bela Lugosi film and then from the from the late 30s, and the uh, the the joy of that is, it, you know, the the choice of that name for me. Uh, When Franco did the uh, the awful Doctor Orloff in the early sixties, it does you know it's another one of those indicators that you know Jess Franco, he's he's somebody I could have hung out with because that's what what a what a perfect pull from you know pulpy horror stuff of the thirties to pull that name and then to reuse that name over the course of decades.
2: Oh yeah, well, and 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 Jess Franco definitely informs this film because. Again, when we get into it yeah. and we talk about the way it was shot, mm-hmm. there was one scene in particular that I'm going to highlight that I, 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 it just caught my attention because it was like a callback to okay. the awful Dr. Orloff for me. Okay. I was like, okay. oh, wow. So what, it's, what, it, uh, it,
3: I'm sorry, I'm sorry. What, what no, do you know about uh, our, our, our director, Pierre Chevalier? Because here's the strange thing to me. Uh, I own two of his other movies on Blu-ray, which means I'm sick. Um, <laughs> which ones? Uh, House of Cruel Dolls.
2: I've heard of that. I'd
3: love to see it. I have not seen it yet, but I have okay. seen his uh, what? What was supposedly his last film as a director? the uh, The Panther Squad from 1984.
2: Oh yeah, I, I saw a poster for that. What the heck is that thing?
3: That is uh, 90 minutes long. That's what that is. No, it's uh, <laughs> it's actually not even 90 minutes long, but it does star S- Sybil Danning and Jack Taylor, yeah. which means that's Ow. all you need to know.
2: Yeah, yeah. I'm sold.
3: Uh-huh, Panther Squad. A squad of female mercenaries take on an organization called Space Clean, <laughs> which is dedicated to stopping space exploration. <laughs> it's, it's sounds just, like a must-see. It it Honestly, for us, it is. <laughs> You need to see it. Uh, also has uh, uh, Karen Schubert. Yep. Uh, and uh, Donald O'Brien. Fun. And, and uh, Antonio Mayans. So, Fun. Uh, Yeah, basically you couldn't have you could have you couldn't have red flagged a movie harder for me when I could get it for under ten bucks on Blu-ray, and so of course I did.
1: See again, Antonio Mayan, someone who appeared in tons of Franco films, you know. So so yeah, it's 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 all this like he's like this Franco protege or something. This guy seems like oh yeah,
2: and and Jess and Lena just love that guy. When Mm -hmm. I was I was binging some. Lena Romay movies. Of, oh, I've been doing it since Thanksgiving, and I watch every interview. and, and when they're talking about, you know, Antonio Mayans, Antonio mm-hmm. Mayans, it's like they can't say enough good things about him in those old interviews. Cool. Oh
3: well, they they spent a lot of years as kind of a a, a traveling group of filmmaking yep. friends. So yeah, that's not it's not too much of a shock. Uh, the the other film that I have that uh, was directed by the auteur yeah. <laughs> Pierre Chevalier is uh, House Cruel Dolls, as I mentioned a second ago, and uh, you won't be surprised to know that it is about a gang of white slavers forcing women into prostitution. Mm-hmm. Um, with a t- with a title like that, you might yeah. have thought that it per- was perhaps a-, a chamber piece about the angst involved in reaching middle age, but it's not. <laughs> it's-, it's not at all. Uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, nope. it-, it stars uh, Sylvia Solar, who we know from a couple Ooh. of nashy appearances. Oh, yeah. yeah. And... Uh, that that's that's enough to drag me in. Uh, they somehow rooked some footage of Jack Taylor into that movie too, but apparently it was shot for something
1: else. So <laughs> huh. yeah.
2: If yeah. if you say Jack Taylor or, or Sylvia Solar, it's I think I can't think of a movie with either one of them that I haven't enjoyed.
3: Yeah. They will always bring something to it. That's true.
2: Brings a smile to my face. (laughs) Speaking of which, I I don't know how you guys would classify this one, but would it be safe to say for some of us this one is a guilty pleasure?
3: Uh, See, that's just it. I have, over the past several years, found myself moving further and further away from the term guilty pleasure... Because okay. it's hard for me to feel guilty about something that I'm actually enjoying, regardless of how I'm enjoying it.
2: There you go. You just hit the nail on the head, because that's the way I feel, too. If it's, if it's a guilty pleasure, well, then I have no business enjoying it, but why do I enjoy this movie so much every time I watch it?
1: Well, I would say, I mean, I still define if, if if there is such thing. I see what you guys are saying. I agree at a lot with a lot of part of it. If I'm going to define something actually as a guilty pleasure, I would say it's just simply something that you cannot defend under any artistic means. Ah, you know. And I think that this film would definitely like enjoyed it. Had great fun with it. You know, uh, both times I watched it to get ready for the show. Had great fun with it. Can't really defend it on any in any aesthetic means. It's the way I feel about a lot of Santo films, or something. I mean, it's like yep, yep. It, either you know, if it, either a guy in a wrestling tights with his own lab and and are tooling around <laughs> a sports car fighting <laughs> monsters, it, and,
3: and clearly, and clearly with 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 g- give me badges from every police enforcement unit on the planet <laughs> Earth. Yeah, yeah
1: it, I mean, if that doesn't do it for you, then I don't know what else I can sell you on watching most yep. Santo films. And I feel the same way about Elvis films. You know, I told you I like Elvis Presley yep. films. Yep, me most too. of them. There are a few of them that are actually have are quality. Most of them aren't, but they're just fun. They're just enjoyable for me to sit and watch. But I can't sit there if someone's going to attack them. And okay, I don't know that I can put up a big fight or like, what are you talking about? This is great. So that would be the closest thing I can think of that might define a guilty pleasure. Is you know, <laughs> it is not true guilt, but it's just that okay, you're right. I can't, I can't really say this is. Good film, a good film, or good filmmaking. And the it. thing that's, I,
3: I, I see what you're, I see what you're saying, and to a degree, I agree with it. But at the same time, one of the things that's kept me, kept me moving away from the term "guilty pleasure" for myself, is the the the, the, the term has always seemed to mean you know not being able to justify to someone else
0: mm-hmm.
3: um, your enjoyment of something mm-hmm. or feeling a certain. Um, uh, you know, shame to a degree mm-hmm. for enjoying it. Whereas, it just, as I get older, I sur- I've i started to realize that to a degree, it's just a, it's just a, a statement of who would you be willing to recommend this film to? It's like, there's an audience you'll recommend, yep. um, you know, uh, the, the, the Fleischer Popeye cartoons to. Yep. And that, and you know, there's an audience that you would recommend yep. um, South Park to. And there's a, an audience you'd recommend um, the John Wick movies too, but rarely are they all the same group, you know. And so you got to know
2: your audience, right? Yeah, right. And so yeah, yeah.
3: while I uh, while I would uh, never recommend Orloff in the Invisible Man mm-hmm. to say my my poor mm-hmm. poor much put upon girlfriend Beth. Uh, I did make her watch it, and it was a mistake. And and so any guilt associated with this film revolves around me making her watch this film. It's not an internalized (laughs) guilt. It's a guilt about what I did to someone that I care about. So. Uh that's, that's the only way I can feel any kind of measure of guilt about enjoying this is that I may have subjected the wrong audience to the mm-hmm. wrong bit of entertainment. <laughs> but, uh, you know, these things happen. Yeah. You misjudge. Oh, yeah. You say oh, yeah. it's only 75 minutes and 30 minutes in, she looks at me and she goes, How much longer is this?
2: <laughs> or, How can you watch this stuff? Which, <laughs> which my wife has not said that to me, but, and on occasion she'll watch things with me. I've gotten her to watch things like, Dario Argento's Tenebrae and mm-hmm. uh, Armando Osorio, de Osorio's The Ghost Galleon, you know? And it's mm-hmm. like, I, I got different reactions, you know? But, yeah. mm-hmm. but yeah. here's hears um, like she's like, okay, you're doing the podcast with, with those boys. So it's <laughs> like, <laughs> and it's like, yep. And it's like, so what are you guys, what are you watching? Because she's out of town. And it's like, Orloff against the Invisible Man. She's like, pause. It's like, Okay,
1: honey, I'm sure that's just one. It's wonderful. I'm watching things most you. You're probably just like, yeah, I'm watching those them talking about those two Southern boys again. That you know them they the she boys. She probably just has his pictures in our overalls out in our little shanty, getting you know, out there, a little you know, watching, sitting there watching the, Flo- flossing our tooth with teeth a, with a know. jug of corn squeezes <laughs> yeah. that has the three X's on it. Yeah, <laughs> watching films. that got werewolves and boobs and people getting sliced up
2: you you know where I am I'm probably more likely to be hanging out in a barn than you
3: guys (laughs) probably so Uh, (laughs) Virginia for God's sake yeah that's
1: true that's a good point
3: (laughs) Uh, yeah but further the further you get you know beneath the Mason-Dixon line the more likely it is that you're going to be seen as some some toothless rube who's pretty (laughs) sure that that woman he's he's sleeping (laughs) with isn't his cousin you know
2: (laughs) (laughs) tighten up your rope belt
3: Yeah. Okay, so Bob. Yes, uh, sir. Where? What what was your first encounter with Orloff and the Invisible Man?
2: Well, it sounds like like you. I skipped the VHS. (laughs) Okay. Oh, actually, my first encounter with this would have been. It was. It it was on a. It was on a. It was a copy. A VHS copy, but I got it from uh, Bill Knight who ran Midnight Video, he, he was a fan of this film. And he did a composite, which was an interesting exercise because he collected all these different versions from various places and he, he found a way to edit them together. And, uh, you know, I, looking back on it, it's I, I think I actually prefer the, the, the cut on the image disc you know also because it's mercifully short what well, was I think it was like barely 72 minutes last yeah, night it's like, like, uh, it's
3: like 75 minutes and a few seconds maybe 76 yeah that's it's, yeah, it's,
2: and it, it's, and it it actually went, point, yeah yeah and it went by so quickly so but so my first experience would have been on VHS tape and then um, uh you know I didn't really th- this would have been the upgrade which I, I don't know when did we say that when did this disc come out um, 2008 or something like that?
3: Oh my goodness. Was or was it even the...
2: farther back than that? I'm I'm looking at the box but I can't yeah, see the date. I can't
3: see a release date on the uh, on the DVD label. It's
2: But, it's, you know, it would yeah. have been in the probably in the 2000s when I picked this up, you yeah. know. So, you know, so I would say, you know, that was probably the first time I really watched this with sort of a conscious intent to, you know, kind of get a grasp of what it was and and by ne- by then I'm I'm well aware of who I was well aware of who Howard Vernon was and I'm well aware of Eurocine and, and and the Lesseurs who ran the company and and you know and it's interesting because revisiting it like this I I always like looking at the credits and you had mentioned that there were some Nashy connections and there was one that leaped out at me and I was like oh god <laughs>
3: uh yeah and I know where you're going
2: you, you know which one I'm talking about
3: mm mm-hmm. mhm
2: so I, I figure I'll 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 let you I'll let you tackle that one.
3: But <sighs> <sighs> way back in the very first year that Troy and I were doing the Nashi cast, I knew that uh, I didn't want to, to dive into the, the 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 ones that I knew were really fantastic movies. I didn't want to cover them all in the first year because I felt like that, that would kind of be setting uh, us setting us up for a fall if the show kept going, he mm-hmm. said. 12 years later Uh and so um, one of the ones I slotted into place uh, early on I think episode 5 is a film that Nashi did not write but did star in called Crimson (laughs) or uh, what's the what's the other title Uh, the man the Man with a severed head. Yeah. Yes. Yes. yes.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Or, or, also, it's like rats don't sleep at night, or something like that. <laughs> yep. There's some that crazy title. Spanish well, title. Yeah.
3: Yeah. The, the the whole rat thing. There was a whole series of alternate titles for crime films where they're they're referring to the criminals as rats <laughs> and vermin yep. and scum. Yep. You know, and all these. It's like uh, you, know, you almost expect them to be Italian crime movies of some sort. <laughs> but the the Reason I slotted Crimson into place was that it was readily available, it had been put out on DVD, and so it would be easy for people to see and and, and to get a, a sense yep. of when we were talking about it. And also because I knew it stank. <laughs> <laughs> I knew yep. I didn't like it. I knew it was one that I could honestly truly say that there's very little in this movie that I find, you know, redeemable. Yep. Uh, but it served a purpose. It served a fine purpose. Yep. It, 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 it allowed us to talk about Victor Israel mm-hmm. and Sylvia Solar yep. and why it's a bad idea for Nashi to be in French movies <laughs> and things like that. <laughs> yep. So, uh, the fellow that we're referring to who is involved in this movie is the fellow who was responsible for directing Crimson. And uh, let's just say... Um, I've still not forgiven him. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know that I will. And, uh, the, well, I have to admit that, uh, I think that Crimson and now his, his credit on this film, those are really the only two things I know of him.
2: Yeah.
3: Um, the only examples
2: you, of his work. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Those are the only examples I can think of for, yep. for one, Fortuni. Uh, he did the special, and here's the thing, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but it seems that he was involved in the Invisible Man special effects, or at least rigging up different effects around the castle they're shooting in to make it appear that an Invisible Man is manipulating different objects. And I that did is not shooting, know And they're not, ter-
1: and they're not terrible.
3: And that's what so I was going no. to say. Yeah. If that is what he did on this film... The man found his niche and should have stayed there.
2: Yeah. You're, you're probably right. Yeah. Cause I, I thought it was just, well, the cinematography. Well, there's, he redeemed himself for me with one scene, which we'll get to. And apparently, he had, if he didn't write the screenplay, he had a hand in the screenplay. But I didn't know about the, uh, the
3: effects. Yeah. 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 I did um, not know that. He is listed, as, he is listed as the sole credit under special effects for this film. Huh. Uh, now, if we're going to be talking about you know writing credits, he ain't covered himself in glory with the writing credits. No, no. <laughs> uh, but uh, I, will, I will. Okay, okay. I can't resist. First of all, we all know, and Bob, I, this has been a topic of discussion for years amongst your trash fans. Um, there's really no solid way to know if the English language dub track for a lot of these movies. Is is really the best version of the story right. being told. Yeah. Or right. if it's just the most visually convenient. Right. And so I was just just before Troy got here tonight, before we recorded, I was going back through the movie, just taking note of some of my favorite bits of the dialogue in the English track and trying to figure out why on first and second, and even third viewing, I had somehow let this dialogue float by me, like I was—I don't know—I don't like i had been clubbed in the head. I don't know, but I, this time through, some of the lines of dialogue really stood out as yep. incomprehensible for yep. a native English speaker.
1: Yep. Yep. <laughs> okay. I agree. Yep. And you're right. You never know how fast and loose they're playing with with right. what was originally intended, because you know you don't expect the people who dub all these films, you know, you know, they didn't go into every one. I was like, we're going to preserve the, the integrity of this. You know, a lot of times they went into, we need something that fits the lips and, you know, fits the yes. lips and get through this. Yes, and exactly. uh, so, but, but, you know, for my own enjoyment, I just like to pretend that it's there in the original script, you know, that it was intentional. You know? <laughs> but damn it, this is the way it was meant to <laughs> yeah. be.
2: Well, and then, you know, you're dealing with the issue of, you know, you have us. Something that was intended in a foreign, delivered in a foreign language originally, but then there's no English equivalent, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, or yeah, yeah. we've had the case yeah. where, I, I know we were talking during, uh, uh, we were talking about this when we did Hunchback to the Morgue. We did that revisit, which was really a lot of fun. And, and I actually had the time to watch it in Spanish with the English subtitles and found out you get errors. Because it's like, wait a minute, Dr. Orla mm-hmm. in Hunchback... Yeah. Refers to the primordial as a she, yeah.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And I was yeah. like, "Well, that seemed like kind of a glaring error because I don't remember gender ever being in uh, a topic or, or ever coming up at all in the not English." Being,
3: not in the English, no. So, yeah.
2: but yeah, going back to Orloff against the Invisible Man or Orloff and the Invisible Man, yeah, there I, I took some notes, and there was. There was a sequence, and there were some lines. There were some lines that were delivered by an actor that we all know very well that kind of clubbed me over the head, like you said. And I was like, huh. Yeah, so we'll, we'll have to get into that too. But yeah, there's, there's some interesting meat on the bones of this film.
3: Well, let's just say that the line that stood out for me as the most nonsensical comes at a point early on in the film where, where our beloved. Cecile Orloff gives forth with the line where she describes something as being both transparent and opaque. Oh,
2: yeah. (laughs) Yeah, there was something standing between her and the mirror. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yes.
3: And that, to me, that should have been the moment when I stopped watching this film 20 years ago and just walked away. But no, no, I just soaked it up like it was gravy and I had too much bread. So (laughs) here we go. This is what we're doing. This is the English dialogue in this film. Buckle up.
2: Well, and there were lines that were kind of throwaways because you had Orloff talking about why he created the monster in the first place. And it's like, well, it seems like he had one reason, and then he came up with another one, and then he came up with another one that sounded like a Bond villain. That one. <laughs> and I was like, about something about it, something about it dominating the human race and taking over the world. And it's like, huh? Okay.
3: <laughs> so this, yeah, I was about, you know, is this an early project for Spectre? What the
2: fuck? <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> yeah,
1: I know. Oh, well,
3: okay. Well, let's... my favorite is
1: where he does the. i favorite does the great the 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 uh, you know, at some point he does the great Mad Doctor thing about you know how where he literally says creating this was my way of getting revenge on all those people who said I was crazy. Yep, <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep,
3: because <laughs> goddamn it, I was going to prove it. Yeah, yeah. Little did he know,
2: it's like yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna prove that I'm ac- they're actually right. I am crazy. And this poor <laughs> yeah. doctor who got called here to the house, he's like going, wait a minute, who's crazy here? I'm seeing a house full of crazy people. <laughs>
3: As a matter of fact, you I, I I'm pretty sure that everything that entered the place and stayed for more than 10 minutes was driven mad. <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> well, we can certainly say that about the poor daughter Cecile, but she has an excuse. Yeah. yeah. Because she because she she died and then mm-hmm. she wasn't dead, and then she had this rude awakening by the grave robbers, which was really a bit of a shock if you're not quite dead, and then they tried to kill her again. And it's like, well, that might
1: put me over the edge yeah but i love the fact that you know She's supposed to be the insane one in the castle, and yet she is the she does the most rational, sanest thing of anyone in the whole film when she throws all the flour on the floor to so that they can see where the invisible man is.
3: And she escapes. She's 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 clever enough to get the hell out. Yeah. Was it flour
2: or was it talcum powder? I was. Maybe I'm not sure. I don't
3: don't know. Whatever that white powder is, is, it allows them (laughs) to actually see where this thing is. You know,
2: it's (laughs) interesting though because that device, and I'll get to this later. There's something that pops up in the French trailer that was not in the print that I watched, and the flower gave me a clue to the timing of when it actually happened. We'll have to get into that as well. Okay. Well, now that was a good thing.
3: Did you take note uh, of that? One of the only extras on that old image DVD was uh, what were the uh, what's labeled as uh, just the clothed versions of the sequences that involve nudity because the film the film as we as presented on the disc is the uh, the nude version and then they include it as an extra something they just label alternate clothes sequences but if you watch those alternate clothes sequences you will notice it's not just that the women are covered up instead of being nude in the sequences that they were nude in the movie but also there are a lot of scenes in those in between that were not included in this 75 right. or 76 wow. minute long version of the film. Right. So there's a little extra there. Uh, and of course that's, I'm the kind of person who's very fascinated by that kind of stuff. And I love to seek it out. And I'm always, I'm always curious. I want to see it. And then I look at it, I look at those scenes in this movie and I'm going, yeah, it's better without them.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, right. And some of the scenes didn't add much, but some did. Yeah. Like I, I noticed there was a scene, I guess that early on the doctor's, I guess it was early on the the doctor was in the woods, you know, and he's calling out and it's like, okay, well that didn't really add anything, but then right. there was a scene where, and, and I'll tell you why that I, I kind of wish they did include this, but they, they showed that there was a scene where um, it was in the outtakes where it reveals that it was the doctor who frees the, the Roland character, you know, the, the, yes, yes, or whatever actually frees him.
3: Yeah. And, and that, and that is a scene that actually it's only a few seconds long, but it would have yeah. been good to have that in the movie. Oh yeah, yes. and it's sort of like
2: I found something that annoyed me in a minor way about this movie is that I felt like there was more missing because you, rather than seeing the action, you know, on on you know having a visual narrative, you we would be told when something was happening, like yeah. oh, yeah. you know, he set the he set the house on fire, you know, exactly. and it's like we didn't actually see that, you know, it's like we're just kind of being told that. Or it's like, okay, well, now I'm I'm gonna hang around. I'm I'm going back in to kill him, you know. But it's like, well, well wait a minute, wasn't he already killed? <laughs> you know, well, that kind of confusing. Yeah,
1: I agree with you. That's one of the things problems I had. I did wonder if there were actually really vital things. You know, at first when I watched it first time, and I thought, well, for film, this is really good that there's just seventy five minutes. You know, it doesn't yeah. overstay. It's welcome. I was like, I was thinking this being a gothic horror, if there had been an extra fifteen minutes, most of it probably would have just been people wandering through catacombs <laughs> with torches, like you would. But then, but then. Yeah. And then I, on the second viewing, I was thinking, man, that climax is so weak uh, yes. that there really are some things that 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 should have been shown to have, you know, to have oh, made I mean, it yeah. a little more dramatic there, you know. And so made me wonder had those things been filmed and somehow just got trimmed, you know, so because some of this it would explain a, a lot because they're just basic bad storytelling in this film. In yeah, a lot of places, you know, oh, yeah. and where you're just like you're ignoring just some very obvious basic storytelling things you need to do that you're not doing it makes you wonder was it filmed and just somehow didn't make it to the final print you know yes
2: right. or or even inappropriate reactions like you have yeah. something at the very end that 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 happens which you know for all intents and purposes ends the invisible man but then you know, you see the doctor and Cecile who have escaped, and they're they're kind of smiling at each other. It's like, what kind <laughs> of the, the wrong I mean, reaction yeah. there. It's what like, are you smiling oh, about? It's, <laughs> it's, it's sort of like, well, I guess they could be smiling that they escaped the fire, but it's yeah. like, oh, it's yeah. like, oh, he's dead, darn, torn to, torn to shreds by dogs. Oh darn! Isn't love wonderful?
1: Yeah. <laughs> you
0: know,
1: it's and, like, and, and if we're spoiling things for people, I mean, it's like, sorry if you're totally shocked that a film about a mad scientist ends in a final fly, full of fire, everything catching on fire. I know you never or seen Or with that the before. mad scientist dying. You know? Yeah, right. <laughs> right. Well, although
2: Orloff, yeah, there were a lot of kind of things that were left hanging, certain characters yeah. that you oh, just yeah. made assumptions about what might have happened to them.
1: Right. Yeah. You
2: know, like you had the Maria character who kind of vanished from the narrative after they, they he, he sicked the dogs on her, you know, and it's sort of like, well, boy, Orloff sure likes sicking the dogs on people, you know. <laughs> <laughs> or you had like, um, uh, you know, when he pulled out his box of jewelry and it's like, okay, well, you figure, n- knowing, you know, he was, it seems like he was nobility, he had money, he was probably married at one point, right? Because he had yeah. a daughter. But it's like, no explanation whatsoever about what happened to the mother unless I missed it.
3: Nope. Nothing there.
2: So, yeah. It, it's like I'm just saying, but it's like a lot of a lot of strange yeah. unexplained things, and just weird things that get thrown out there too, you know, 'cause uh-huh. at the last minute it's like it, it's like an afterthought It's like, oh yeah, well, Roland, he's been chained up, the doctor's like he's been chained up here for six years, and it's like, oh yeah, but you know, Orloff <laughs> intimated that well, I set him loose every once in a while because. Uh, not only did I do my Bond villain diatribe earlier, but I send Roland out because, and this explains the uh, mysterious disappearances in the countryside, because Roland goes <laughs> oh, out <yeah. laughs> and, and, like, procures victims because uh, now we know the creature needs blood. And it's like, okay.
3: Yeah, that's the most slapdash, backhanded explanation.
2: Yeah, so he's an for, invisible vampire. Yeah, it's yeah like, it's like, What? And it's are like, we, okay, uh, well, there wasn't really any blood other than I mean, yeah. I mean, there were a couple of beakers of bit uh, full of red stuff in the lab. But yeah, I mean, it, it, are
3: and it, are it we seemed talking like a, transfusions, or is he drinking it? What in the I, name of God is happening here?
2: Right, and and you know, the the lab seemed awfully cramped to me. Yeah. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but it looked like a closet. <laughs> you know. <laughs> and it's like no no explanation not that we really expected one about how he actually created this creature other than he intimated that he had to kill someone or end someone's life to make this happen and i don't know if it was like some sort of a you know uh, transformation, or was it a Frankenstein kind of
1: thing, or did he reanimate it? Who, who knows? <laughs> well, that brings up another good point is there's so much time spent on uh, Fernando Sancho, you know, as Roland, you know, his yeah. character, yeah. his backstory, and how he runs afoul of the Doctor. And his fine him.
3: leather coat.
1: Yes, that's right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. And, it kept and- him warm. We didn't, we, but wouldn't it have been a little more dramatic to have actually shown us a little more about the person that was actually turned into the Invisible Man? I mean, we never, I mean, we never know who that is. So wouldn't <laughs> sure, that have made yes. it a little bit yes. more of a tragic story if we actually yeah. knew who that person is and we never see? That person. Well, <laughs> yeah. and
2: and for an instant there, I thought it was Roland was I did the one too. that he, I thought for a minute there that he yes. was the one that he killed. Because he said, I wanted to kill the guard. He kept referring Mm -hmm. him to the guard. But then I think at one point he referred to him as a gameskeeper. So it's like, I don't know what his job was other than chasing after the the maid, Maria, who frequently took her clothes off. You know, but it's like...
1: um, Who could have seen that she was trouble, man? I would Yeah, she (laughs) was... Oh, my god
3: <laughs> he should have run she came she screamed trouble from three counties away <laughs>
1: <laughs> he should have run like a scalded dog <laughs> yeah yep. but yeah you brought that you perfectly which I was gonna say too Bob with Fernando Sancho's character yeah I was it was actually after the first viewing I was so totally confused because I went through three quarters of the movie thinking that he was the invisible man who yeah. He, yeah, yeah because it builds up this whole thing about why Orloff would do this to him you know and it wasn't until the, the the end of the film that I realized oh wait a minute that Roland wasn't, the, they're two separate beings there. <laughs>
3: well, I mean, yeah. it goes back a little bit to what you were alluding to earlier, which is that were there things that got shot that that didn't make it into the cut or that just, like, maybe didn't mm. turn out? You know, maybe the maybe they exposed the film poorly or something like that, and so they just had uh, to yeah. well, edit the possible. movie together with what they had because there's a few instances, well, it's either that or there are instances where we're looking at something that has the feeling of someone Who's behind the camera, who's not aware of how much coverage he needs so that the film can be edited together in a way that doesn't feel like you're, you know, you're randomly throwing things at a screen just, you know, in a haphazard fashion. And I think one of the early examples of that would be when the, at at the beginning, okay, so the, so the film starts. We have the, the, the doctor, uh, the new doctor in this village. Uh, Someone knocks at his door. It turns out to be a little boy. I love, I love the fact that his, (laughs) <laughs> the fact that the doctor's uh, housekeeper won't let, won't let the little boy in, who's, by the way, barefoot in the rain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs>
3: she won't let him in the house because he'll dirty up her clean floor. Right. Uh, but apparently he came. Uh, the, the doctor goes out. The little boy tells him that he needs to go to uh, Professor Orloff's castle. Someone's sick there. Yep. Yep. So, being a dutiful doctor, he packs up his bag and, and yep. goes looking for someone to cart him out there. Now, yep. When he's in the, uh, I guess we'll call it a tavern, and yep. there are a number of people in there, and he's trying to find somebody who will who will take him out to this place, and of course, yep. nobody's willing to do it really except yep. one person. But during that sequence of events where he's trying to guilt somebody into taking him out to the professor's uh, castle, um, there is a cut. There's a. There's a, a an insert shot of the waitress, the blonde waitress uh-huh. who, you know, it's, it, it, it's done so that you're cutting away from the same shot of the doctor as he's looking around the room trying to get someone to take him out there. But the, the, the cutaway is of an earlier shot that we've already seen with the woman facing in the wrong direction. She's facing to the left of screen instead oh, of to yeah. the right of screen, yep. which, is where the, which is where she was looking at the doctor in the wide shot. Right. And so that to me says that the editor knew he needed a, a cutaway shot. He needed something to break up that, that hmm. sequence so that, it, so that it flowed a little better. But the only thing he had was what was already in the can and, the, and the, 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 this young director did not have enough knowledge to know that he needed to shoot a, a few extra quick shots to give the editor some play. And, and we so, can
2: give Juan Fortuny some of the blame because he was a cinematographer. yep
3: yeah, mm-hmm. yep. Yeah, yeah. well, also, who knows how quickly they had to shoot this damn thing. I mean, right. You know I, I honestly chalk a lot of problems up with these really you know with these cheap Euro trash films from this period. I mean, this came out in 1970. I mean, yep. who knows how much, you know, who knows if they had, you know, 2 weeks, 3 weeks, how long they had the, the right. various locations for and just how quickly they had to get everything done and and you, you start rushing and you you start cutting corners and and wor- you know, worrying about that problem that the editor's going to have some other day. And right. so that's just one spot where I, I was like uh, that's well, an obvious oversight. That is something and, where the editors had to try to paper over something and it doesn't quite work.
2: And you mentioned the tavern too. Maybe, yeah. you know, they were under time constraints. Maybe they had to get out and they're like, all right, we're done shooting for today. And it's like, Oh, we don't have it in the, we, we don't have it in the schedule, or the budget to go back. You know, the tavern, that was, that was the piece that was so hammer studios esque too. Yeah. yeah because I agree you also had the, I guess it was proceeding going to the tavern and he stopped at someone's house and and you have the stereotypical old lady. It's like, well, where are you trying to go? And I'm I'm going to the castle of Professor Orloff and she slams the door in his face. I mean she she <laughs> yeah. did everything but cross herself,
1: right? Yeah.
3: yeah. Well, <laughs> also, I mean, we also have one of those things that you see in a number of of my beloved hammer films, which is the doctor is being carted out into the middle of nowhere the the uh, the carriage gets stuck and yep. then the doctor gets left in the middle of damn nowhere yeah. because the yeah. carriage driver's like I'm out of here
1: <laughs> and really this whole beginning this whole beginning segment is is just you know it all goes back to to Dracula really I mean it's yes. just kind of the classic the whole beginning there to of that that story there that we're seeing I mean this this could be the opening of a of a Dracula film with just Orloff this whole beginning you know with just Orloff dropped in in place of Dracula in the name you know but it's the same as far as dealing with the locals getting there. All hits those all those same beats there. Oh, I know. And, and, yeah. All, all,
3: all, we, all we really needed was a rowboat in the moat labeled Demeter, and I would have been like, okay, yeah, yeah, okay, I get yeah. it, I get it. All right, we, we're there. But yeah. well, you know. And start, then then,
2: well, and then you got past that, and, and then you get to the the castle, and then you know you get a, you, you know you, you get another R eight when, when he finally does actually. He gets past the introductions with the with the strange and frightened servants, and then he finally comes up against Orloff, and then almost immediately you're going into like a, a flashback where he's telling oh, a story yeah. about yeah. you know six years ago. You know, yeah. and then we get and then we get the whole history of of his daughter Cecile, which they make that clear right away. And it's like okay, Doctor Orloff has a daughter. Yeah. Which actually we've we've seen in some of the Jess Franco movies, you know, you'll you'll you'll, yeah. you'll have that sometimes, right. you
1: know. Um, I think that um, the, 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 one of my favorite exchanges of dialogue I got to mention because you mentioned where he's meeting the servants, and uh, another one of those is just just cracking me up. I had to run it back a couple of times to make sure I would heard it right. But when he meets the male servant, oh you know, yeah, you know, and the doctor says says ask him. I think he asked him like, is there someone sick here or something like that, yeah. or, I, or is a doctor here? And then the uh, the guy says, don't ask me. And he says, he "says well, Who's the person I'm supposed to ask?" And he says, "I am." It's yeah. It's <laughs> completely <laughs> crazy. Drunk. Well, yeah, it made no it. sense. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I know, and and I love the I love the fact that at least you know the
3: the the script holds together enough uh, enough to to allow the him to actually have the line. Oh, I'm talking in circles here. Yeah, yeah. And it's he like did, yeah, yeah. Actually, at that point, you are. It's like I'm glad to have the character recognize it. <laughs>
1: This castle, by the way, I I, I would I, I don't know if any of you guys recognized it. I mean I bet we've probably seen it in I'm sure we've oh, seen yeah. it in hundreds of, of films, I mean, but I didn't really I, I couldn't I, immediately I place it, but
3: I don't know what the location specifically is, and it, I wish it, I did.
1: It hit uh, me like
2: a genre land film.
3: Very much so. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I keep thinking I, I kept trying to 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 discover where it was shot, and it may be something that I've just completely overlooked. But right. It has, what? What? The terrible fact of the matter is that there are a number of these. You can refer to them as castles. You can refer to them as you know, uh, country chateaus. estates, chateaus, mm. whatever you want to want to call them. But there's a there's a certain sameness to a number of them that I've seen in lots of different movies. And the 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 thing, especially from this period of time, that really does it really does conjure up the the genre line vampire films, which is just another of those boxes ticked for mm-hmm. you know cool atmospheric stuff that this movie essentially can't can't hold itself together enough to pull off. Mm-hmm. But the uh, the all the all the architecture is there and by architecture yep. I mean they found a good location. You know, oh, they, yeah. they found a spot where they could film and uh, it all looks it all looks very good to to kind of bring the the feel and the atmosphere of a of a you know a color gothic. Yeah. Uh, and it it's, it's, a, it's a shame that it doesn't pull together as, as effectively as you would think, as you would hope it would. But it is, that there, there, there was a part of me that a certain point of this most recent rewatch where I kept thinking to myself that, you know, this would be a better movie. If we yanked the soundtrack completely off of it, substituted the dialogue with the occasional oh. uh, silent movie intertitle <laughs> and had a uh, had had a score maybe even the score that's in the movie you know, we just play that you know as a as a as a as a rolling thing underneath this thing because there's enough imagery here to get you by
0: mm-hmm.
3: but the the every every time we start every time we start hearing the the dialogue there's this there's this weird tin-eared nature to what in the hell's being said yep. where you're either going in a circle as the the doctor character says yep. or you're running up against things that just make you wonder what in the hell they are talking about. Yeah. Like, wait, this happened six years ago and yep. so now she's she you saying she was yep. sixteen at the time. You're making me do math. Why are you making me do math? <laughs> Very
2: I, confusing. You know, hey, you know, you, you mentioned the soundtrack. Can we talk about that for a second? Yeah, here's, yeah sure. Here's a, here's another thing. <laughs> so the soundtrack so When we watch these movies, and Troy, I think you were using, uh, say, Santo is a good example, because I can watch almost any El Santo movie, and I can find something in it that's interesting or that I like, right? And it's like, this movie has lots of little interesting and weird things. I don't know if this is interesting or weird, but did you notice one of the things that kind of hit me when it started is, you know, when the music's going, and then you start hearing... You know, like the the finger snapping, right? Oh,
3: okay. So we, remember? You, yeah, you know, in yeah. the
2: soundtrack. So it's like every time I heard it, I told my wife this, and it's just like, all right, when I hear this, right? The four snaps, it's like and then I start thinking, you know, when you're a jet, you're a jet you're all, jet the, all way, the way. You know. And it's like well, wait a minute. <laughs> that was so out of place. <laughs>
3: Oh Lord! But the, it's like the, it took me the, out of the movie. Oh well, uh, the the, mu- the music occasionally took me out of the movie as well. Not not because it was making me think of West Side Story. Although now that you've stuck that in my head, I'm screwed. There's just, there's oh no- yeah,
2: because every time you see it now, you're gonna you're gonna think of that.
3: But the, <laughs> basically, because there were there were instances where the score seemed to be there to kind of to kind of make you forget that they hadn't been able to do any Foley work. And so they didn't really have any sound effects that were going to sell much of anything in this thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, Okay. Let's, first of all, let me praise a few moments in the film. Let me, let me, let me pull a few, let let me pull a few things out and specify what they are. And because this is not a, you know, this is not a one star movie. This is not a piece of garbage. This is not, uh, you know, something that needs to be chucked into the, no. to the dumpster and burned. But the moments that I enjoy in the movie are interesting enough that it's worth, pull, it's worth pulling them out and using the, the background kind of confusion of this film to take note of them. First of all, there are a number of shots, especially when they get inside the castle, that are right. extraordinarily well-framed. Mm-hmm. uh they oh, yeah. show they show a smart eye for visual imagery. And there was one in particular uh, I forget exactly how far into the film I wish I'd written down the times but the there's a moment where we're it's when we're first introduced to what I think is uh, the the professor's lab and the film we're, we're, we're shot it's the, 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 the we're, we're seeing the door at the far end of the room as uh, the characters enter, but the way the shot is framed is we've got um, one of those uh, those mechanical wheel things yeah, to the, the wheel, left right. and we've got some shelving kind of to the right mm-hmm. and the way the shot is set and even as the camera moves a little bit as the characters come in the room it's very well thought out and it uh-huh. looks great mm-hmm. but that would be followed by a shot where <laughs> you're looking at an image you're looking at an image and going Okay, you needed to crank that you needed to crank the camera's angle down just a little bit here because uh-huh. we're seeing too much ceiling. I'm not mm-hmm. sure if you were aware <laughs> of this. But there are a number of shots, probably more than 8 or 9 where you can see that they were clearly able to think about how they were going to frame the shot at least at the beginning of the scene. Mm-hmm. It oh, might yeah. deteriorate as the scene goes on and they're having to edit in, you know, edit into their footage. But that, though, there are a number of spots where I'm like, oh, man, that's a really well-thought-out way to have framed this sequence.
2: I would um, agree. I, because I can think of two the, like that. Well, actually, more than that. But you, you probably were thinking of these as well. But like the sequence where the, the, the grave robbers came into the area where um, Cecile was buried. And it was sort of like a circular kind of chamber. Which pro- I was thinking when yeah, I was watching mm-hmm, it. Yeah. But they actually did a pretty good job with the... Uh, the the blocking there because it Mm -hmm. probably was pretty difficult to do some shooting so i thought that was well done and different and interesting and i also liked sort of in the catacombs they had this red lighting that i really i thought it was really effective and it was sort of spilling out of various areas and it's like somebody put some thought into that but i but i like that you're giving the movie a little bit of praise because this is a good opportunity opportunity for me to throw in what my favorite shot, which I'm sure you guys will remember it because I thought it was very striking. There's a shot where after Cecile had died, uh, and they were going to bury her, and they I had know where you're in,
3: going because this is they, my favorite shot in the movie. Yeah,
2: they had this inverted reflection. Of in the pallbearers on, yeah. Yeah, on the pond or the lake. And you got Orloff following yeah. Yeah, and he's exactly. talking about how yeah. he you know, he had to go alone. And I thought that was a callback to a very similar image in The Awful Dr. Orloff, which, you know, it was so effective. They even used it in the trailer for Awful Dr. Orloff. I think actually this shot was in the trailer, the French trailer for Orloff and the Invisible Man. But I thought that was a beautiful shot. Yeah, it, it was. was. So, it, it was really, really, that was one of my favorite shots. And it's like, okay, all right. So I got to give him credit. I really yeah. thought that that was very, very yeah, creative, a- very inventive. And I love that it was a callback to Awful Dr. Orloff, whether they intended it or not. But it just seemed yeah. like that first, that first Jess Franco Orloff really informed. The film in that way, for me anyway.
1: I didn't well, think about that uh, being a callback to Olaf, it, it, but but it, you're, I did notice that scene did 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 strike me as uh, maybe think of like something out of a Jean Rolland film. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
3: Exactly, mm-hmm. because it's once again you know a a, a, a dead girl being mm-hmm. carried to her grave, mm-hmm. which you know could essentially be you know ins- and. <laughs> You, you could take that phrase and insert it into every script that genre land ever produced. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, right. Uh, right. but the, I, I, I was stunned by the fact that that shot we're talking about where they're carrying the, the coffin and, uh, Howard Vernon is following along behind, even the, even the colors of the sky behind them
2: yes. are
3: striking. It, it, it either yes. they got really, really lucky or they waited to do that shot to when they were getting some kind of lighting like that, regardless of what, what they went through to get that shot whether it was luck or, or or planning good job because
2: it's yes indeed it, it's
3: obviously stuck with all three of us yeah
2: oh yeah well that that stood out but you know but then you juxtapose that with something which seems kind of contrived like you know within the story where okay Orloff decides he's going to lay Cecile to rest with in her coffin with the jewels and it's like okay well <laughs> never a good idea yeah to display all the jewels in front of all the servants. And you you could just see, you know, reaction shot of Fernando Sancho's face, uh, oh. reaction shot of uh, Isabel Del Rios' face with her. She's yep. got these huge, the one with, she had crazy eyes too.
0: Yeah.
3: Oh, oh I yeah. Know. Yo, God, they It's crazy. It's, it's, it was, it's what is she, yeah. What is she doing? It's like she smelled a turd. What are we doing? What is <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, Well, even even all the other servants in the room, every one of them are just staring in, like, slack-jawed lust at the jewelry that's being dropped. (laughs) Yeah, it's just, yeah, it's just, uh, that's sort of, I, I put that on the same level as, you know, finding out who, figuring out who the killer is and going to confront them alone about, you know, that, you know. This is the same thing, is when you're going to drop a bunch of jewels into a casket, you know, maybe not do it in front of all the hired Right, <laughs> right. It's, yes. it's
2: a similar, a similar common mistake with somebody who's a smartass who's like, well, you know. I'm going to expose you. I'm going to I'm gonna yeah. tell your secret to the police. And it's like, well, they're telling this to a killer. And it's like, well, what's stopping me from killing you? I think I'll just throw you off a building.
1: It's a movie contrivance that kills me all the time when it happens. <laughs> yeah, it's
3: like. well, I've got to tell you, you, you put your finger right on one of my favorite comments that Beth made while I was forcing her to watch this a few nights ago. Uh, during that scene as he's bringing out all this jewelry and putting it on the corpse of his daughter and we're watching all the servants stare at it she just goes why is he doing that? Why is he doing this in front of these people? Yes, mm, yeah. yes. Why? <laughs> and I just went because we need an action to take place, darling. We yes, need yes. something to happen here. Right, right, and exactly.
2: It's and it's it's the setup for the next scene where you got the scheming and frequently nude maid who's yep. manipulating poor Roland into you know. It's like, well, you know, uh, if you do a little bit of grave robbing, uh, you know, I'll I'll marry you, but you look like a gorilla. You know?
3: <laughs> well, he is Fernando Science. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs>
2: and then and then they're like. I don't know. They're walking through the graveyard and you're hearing like wolves howling and it's like, <laughs> wow, it's Paul Nashie time. Yeah.
3: Well, it does appear that 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 bit of uh, that bit of sound effects tape was uh, overused. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> throughout throughout the throughout the 1970s. Yeah.
1: yeah. Well,
3: and,
2: and then they get in there and he has to, the poor guy. He's got to use his blade to pry open the coffin that he had he you know they spent a lot of time nailing it shut and shots of Howard Vernon clutching his temples you know yeah. na- he's nailing it shut and he opens it up and he starts plucking the the earrings off and handing it to her and the TR off and then and then when, of course we get to the ring and it's like oh okay he's got to cut the finger off and he's pulling and that's when cecile wakes up, you know, premature burial time, and she's like, you're hurting me. <laughs> and of course, what, and what does he do? He freaks out, Stab- and he stabs her. Stabs
1: her, yeah.
3: <laughs> well, like- now let's, let's talk for a bit of a moment here about the one of the missed opportunities present in the film as we see it, which is, of course, once again, you mentioned it, premature burial. We're playing around with a standard Edgar Allan Poe concept. This mm-hmm. is, you know been done a million different times and it's kind of a standard thing you'll pull out when you're doing a gothic. Okay, cool. Catalepsy. Cool. Not a problem. I thoroughly enjoy it. But they they, they just use it. Yeah. They don't explain it. There's no, not even in that that labored voiceover do we get any kind Mm -hmm. of indication that this is something that might have been possible, or that there was some kind of nothing. It's never mentioned. Just yeah. you know,
2: or Cecile had a condition that she was prone to this kind of right, thing. Maybe right, yeah. right. And he, isn't what wasn't the professor like a professor, a doctor? Yes. Yeah. Wasn't yeah.
3: he? No. Doesn't he have something something to do with the medical field? I mean, he he he, he built himself an invisible gorilla. I mean, Jesus Christ, what the hell? <laughs>
2: It's like a line out of a, uh, an Aquabat song. <laughs> <laughs> Building himself an invisible gorilla.
1: <laughs> this whole movie is an Aquabat song. I mean, it sure is.
2: <laughs> well, oh and then man. I love later that you know here he is, you know. Fernando Sancho probably outweighs Howard Vernon by, like, 30, oh, 40 oh. pounds, right? Yeah, by, and here's by, Vernon. Now, granted, he's got a gun. And he goes, he's like, well, I'm going to get that son of a gun. And he's banging on the door, open up, you know. And, and Fernando Sancho's terrified. And I love that Fernando Sancho immediately throws Maria under the bus while God, he's yeah. locked in the cell, <laughs> I mean, it was all her. It was her idea. She did the stabbing. She, you know, he. he, she, he even, did, she,
3: she even wanted me to cut her finger off to get the ring. Like, <laughs>
2: yeah. damn, and Jesus. and then he's just yeah. pleading with him, and and then there's one of the lines you were talking about these these weird bits of dialogue that club you over the head, and this is the one that stood up from stood out for me from an earlier viewing and they're doing a shot of poor fernando sancho and his tormented face and he's like i'm not like that master i'm not like that <laughs> you know <and laughs> like wow it's like he's trying to convince himself that he's he's not a yeah. murdering grave robbing you know uh, lech <laughs> you,
3: know? <laughs> you rob one grave yeah. and murder one teenage girl and suddenly you're you're really painted that way for life. It's...
2: <laughs> now, well, now, who got the worst of it, though? Because we know he threw Maria under the bus, of course. Yeah. Cue the scene. Scene number one with Unleash the Hounds. Yeah. <laughs> yep. You know, yep. and, and they chase her. And, and there she is, you know. Well, she had the smarts to pack her things and get out. But apparently, she didn't go far enough.
0: No,
1: she just went to the nearest body of water to lounge by it and admire her jewelry.
2: Yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh, well, I'm surprised she didn't take her clothes off. It's like, but wait. (laughs) It's like, the dogs catch up with her. Then he's whipping her like a scene out of the whipping the body, you know, with Christopher Lee, you know? Mm True. And and of course, her blouse pops open. And it's like, yeah, the director's never going to miss an opportunity to inject a little nudity there. But then, it's like Orloff says, well... Get back to the house. And then Maria's never seen again. I know.
1: I was oh, going to say, that's yeah. another thread that's just totally like goes well, limp, you are, know, because... Are, are,
3: are we supposed to think that she was, you know, murdered, that the dogs killed her there in the woods or what, you know? I know, right? That's not right? the
1: impression it gives. The impression looks like he's he's sparing her for something. and You think there's going to be something nastier coming and right. we never see. But
3: it is a dropped thread. You're right. Yeah. The, the impression is that she's going to turn back up later as some, you know, hideously mauled creature that he's... Kept chained up in the crypt to experiment, right. on them, but or, or she's drained,
2: or she's drained of all her blood to feed the the creature. You know, which maybe it's, it's revealed later. May, maybe they forgot. Maybe <laughs> maybe they maybe forgot they to, to shoot, shoot it. Fortuny <laughs> again. <laughs>
1: yeah,
2: no. no. got mm-hmm. it. You know, it's like dog got it. Juan, I told you to shoot that scene.
3: <laughs>
1: Damn it, man. So, smacks, so him,
2: smacks him on the head. He's like, ow,
3: Pierre! <laughs> I gave you this that extra 16-millimeter camera. What the fuck were you doing over there? You know?
2: Yeah. It's like, I won't sleep with that producer again. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, this, I do want to go back a little bit to these things we've just talked about as it means of. there are, I, I do see them as things that there's some positive things as we were talking about what we want to praise the film for. hmm and that whole scene, it's, you're right, it's hilarious, Howard Vernon wrestling, you know, a man twice his size down those corridors. But,
3: With or without a gun. But
1: actually, I did appreciate that both those actors really are going for it in those scenes. You so know? It and it just kind of shows the professionalism of both those guys, you know, that this is, these are not going to be two stellar, you know, stars on their either of their resumes. And yet, that's a long sequence where he's Agreed. wrestling down a long way to get him to that cage. And they're going 100 percent for it. And also, Fernando Sancho, as crazy as some of his dialogue is, that whole breakdown thing he has in the cell. Again, yeah. he's it's actually he's, he's actually he's doing pretty a pathetic. I mean, yeah. the character. I mean, yeah. as an actor conveying the patheticness of his character, he really goes for it. You know, it was so,
2: impressive.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I agree mm-hmm. with you. And and Howard Vernon was doing a lot of physical things, yeah. like you said. Yeah. Wrestling, uh, you know the 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 Fernando Sancho is pretty bulky, and and he's also like you know spent a good part of the film later carrying a nude girl around, or he had oh, to yes, do the scene yeah. twice because he's like, God, I got to carry her naked, and now I got to do it again with clothes on. <laughs> you, you know, because like you know, I'm sure the director is like Chevalier's like, Yeah, continental version. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Well, the, 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 the very interesting thing to me here is that, of course, we're, we're, we, you know, we've got Howard Vernon who, regardless of whatever film he's in, Vernon brings his A-game. He does yeah. as good a job as he can yep. mm-hmm. with the time constraints and the, and the material that he's, he's being asked to convey. He's, he's doing as good a job as he can. And here there are a few scenes where he's he's really given something to chew on. Mm-hmm.
0: Yep. And
3: yeah, the 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 sequence you 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 guys are talking about between him and and Fernando Sancho, yeah, that's that's good stuff. They get to great. play some really interesting kind of heightened emotional stuff between the two of them where there's a lot of fear and a lot of anger coming off these characters and that's really cool. But for me, Vernon is the one who really kind of takes the the crown in this movie, not that there's you know much of a prize <laughs> to be had, considering that a number of the people in this movie never made another film. Right. Uh, but the, uh, the the joys for me of watching Howard Vernon in this movie are, are wonderful because he's able to convey a lot, even in a scene where, okay, so uh, there's a scene where he is and there's a voiceover that's kind of carrying some of this story-wise, but you're just watching him sit in front of a fireplace and brood. Yep. And you know, he broods well. Yeah. <laughs> he does, he, he <laughs> yeah, does yeah. it well. It really feels like the you know the mm-hmm. although the, you know the voiceover is kind of you know pushing you to, to feel that way in the first place. Vernon's getting it across just fine with his with his posture, his yep. the way he's holding his uh, the way he's holding his body, and and just the look on his face. So he's
2: very effective, and, yeah. and it's not surprising that he's got such a huge filmography because he's. He's always worked. I think he made four or five films in 1970 alone. Yeah, and yeah, he's so he's always good. He was so. I, I agree with you guys. I, I mean, it's just that was great. He was great.
3: Well, if you add the the credits of Fernando Sancho and Howard Vernon together, it's I think it's about 500
1: movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I believe it. Yeah.
2: Oh so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Fernando Sancho was pretty busy guy. Yeah. What well, you know, and it's like. While we're talking about, I guess, the the delights of the film, and, and definitely Howard was a highlight. Just by him being in a movie, he just elevates it, I yeah. think, yeah. for everybody. Sure. But we got to talk about one of the show pieces, which we're coming up on here, which I don't know. I don't think this character had a name, but you had the kind of bland maid who was? Oh, yeah. She spent yes. a lot of time with uh, Troy's uh, eyeball servant who had the weird lines. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, the,
3: the, and it's had, like she had kind of amber hair, so that. Yeah, kind of yeah, yeah, and yeah. I
2: think her name. I, 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 I have a. I will have a comment later. I think her name was Yvonne Hanska or something like that. Uh-huh. And she actually did about twenty movies. If, if oh it's wow, the right, I didn't know that. If, mm-hmm. if if it's the right one, I looked her up, but she was the one who yeah. summoned the doctor. Yeah. Right. So uh, presumably the the punishment she receives, which is the showcase piece, one of the showcase pieces here, uh, for summoning the doctor, the invisible man takes the maid for a roll in the hay. <laughs> <laughs> right. Funny. And it's yep, like, yep. all right. So it's like, all right, well, obviously, the 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 you know, we you got to talk about the Eurobush. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, of and, course, and of it course. just
2: made me laugh because not not only her reactions and, and also I watched you know what Rod you were mentioning you had the, the outtakes with the clothes scenes which I don't know what was funnier the clothes scene or the nude scene when she was rolling around but the yeah. zoom that was going in and out and no. in and out and in and, and it's like okay come on is, is Pierre like hitting us over the head here with what's supposed to be going on because Orloff's like She's yours. Yeah, <laughs> you know? and, and she was terrified. Apparently, she had had some experience with the invisible man before, because she was like, "Oh no, not him!" <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, the, yeah, it does appear as if this this particular punishment is something that has been meted out more than once. Mm-hmm. So. Well, uh, which, it, I don't know about you, but that would be a call for me to get the hell out of there. <laughs>
2: <But> <laughs> oh, yeah. Why would you stay in the employ of the doctor <laughs> or the oh,
3: professor? Y- y-
1: but you but the, know? That,
3: that zoom back and forth, that zooming in and zooming out, the, the best, uh, if I'm being...
1: did it not remind should, you of a certain other director? It does, yes, sir. It, uh,
2: you
3: uh, took the we, words right out of my mouth. <laughs> but <right>? but yeah,
1: <laughs> I,
2: I
3: agree, but not, not. I've never known Franco and... Uh, then again, maybe I'm, I'm going to immediately be proven wrong by a particular example. But I've never known Franco to zoom in and then back out. Mm. It, mm. To True. zoom in, yes, I know
1: what you're saying. Yeah. In
3: other words, know. he's he's zooming in mm. to get closer to something, but he's not like yanking you back and forth like mm. some freaking yo-yo.
1: It's like the guy's oh, trying yeah. to well, like here, this... they're, like they're trying to use the camera as a physical like phallus, yeah. you know, like a yeah. Yeah. like a like a yeah, thrusting. Like, yeah, yeah, Like, yeah. like,
3: like, it, like you're, what? The, yeah, like the the camera is some kind of point of view thing for the mm. invisible creature, and it's like. It's you need to shoot that a slightly different way, you
2: know? so. I, I would agree. Well, it got a little ludicrous. It remi- it made me think of those John Ashley Blood Island movies when the the yes. man's doing his attacks and the same thing with the Filipinos and it's like the the zooms going in and out and in and out and in yeah, and out, yeah. you know. And right. and yeah. even the music reminded me, you know, the heavy on the horns, sort of like the soundtrack here when you you had the, the finger popping. And you had it was (laughs) heavy on the horns. You know, and the horns are going, you know, and it's like, what the heck's that? It sounds like, oh, I get it. It's the dogs, okay. the hunt.
3: <laughs> oh well, yeah. The, the 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 hunt sound is as soon as as soon as I realized, oh, that's that's what that is. That's what's re- that what that's what is reminding me of. I was so glad that I quickly flashed on that because there was a part of me that was waiting for a knight to to ride over the hilltop and <laughs> swing a sword. I'm like, wait, what the hell is this music?
2: Yeah, or or a bunch of guys in red on horses going "Tally ho!" You know? And <laughs> oh, it's yeah, like they come riding over the hill, and there's poor uh, what's her name, uh, Isabel Del Rio, toppling. You know, trying on a tiara. <laughs> you know, it's
1: like, well, hello. <laughs> but yeah, I'm sure we I'm sure we all agree that you know it does seem like they're trying to portray this maid as as ultimately enjoying this experience. By the time it's at the end, yeah, it's a real kind of a weird it comes line. On
3: like too long, and it could yeah. be and,
1: it, and, and just her whole expressions in it, it. It's like it may not yeah. be what they intended, but it may be something. Oh, I place, think it's but, what
3: they intended because that's kind but, of a. I hate to say this. That was. There are a lot of things about there are a lot of things about the trashier end of of film from the mid 60s through about the, the the mid to late 80s that I I can't believe we just accepted as the way things are yeah. for so long yeah but the kind of I won't say casual but the almost winking nature of rape as yeah. a yeah. a plot element as yeah. uh, this this not every, and not in every case are they doing this but this desire to occasionally give you the impression or outright make it a point of plot to have a woman enjoy eventually enjoy the rape that she's be, that she's mm-hmm. being subjected to and yep. it's um it there's a part of me that 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 wonders if, you know, what 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 does it what does it say about the time period and i think we can make some assumptions about that i mean, we, I mean all three of us lived through it to one degree or another right but it, what does it also say about what the filmmakers think i mean are they trying to put on screen something i mean obviously they're they're looking for shock effect they're looking right. for uh, not you know a a, a way to get uh, some extra violence and nudity in there and hey a rape is both right yay
2: well you so, you know it's it's really interesting you bring this up too because you know, with this, with a, you know, it's a rape scene. And, and, okay, so the 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 odd twist is that, you know, the, the attacker is invisible, but it doesn't really serve a purpose. No. Right? No, Unlike, not. say, all right, we mentioned Hammer earlier, so I can mm-hmm. kind of dovetail this in. You look at a movie like Terrence Fisher's Frankenstein Must Be Destroyed, right? Right, okay. And there's a rape scene in it. With Ronica Carlson, a very, con- a
3: very controversial scene. A
2: very controversial rape scene, but the rape scene does perform a, a purpose. There's there's a narrative reason for it being in there because had Frankenstein, Peter Cushing, which is really kind of weird saying this, not raped the Ronica Carlson character, what that set in motion was basically he was setting the wheels in motion for his own destruction because mm-hmm. later. When the poor, pathetic uh, creature, bald-headed creature, approaches Veronica Carlson, she mistakes – my impression, A, was that she was mistaking his asking for help as another attack. Hmm. And she stabs Hmm. him, right? Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's it, and and then basically everything goes downhill from there, because then, you know, of course, the, the Baron's like, what the hell have you done? And then he murders her and then her boyfriend, you know, comes comes in to murder him. And it's like it sets that whole chain of events in motion. But without the without the rape and I don't remember if I ever caught it. First time I saw Frankenstein must be destroyed was at a drive in. I was probably too young to really even remember. But, you know if the scene was even in there. And on TV, you know, they probably cut it out, right? But Maybe. Yeah, it's, maybe. Maybe. You know, you know, you watch it like, you know, they run Hammer movies on the, the CBS Friday night movie, you know, in the 70s mm. or something like that. But, you know, I guess the point I'm making is, you know, like you get a filmmaker like Terrence Fisher, who, you know, he had a, he had a definite reason. And, you know, and I'm sure that was probably written into the script and they had to convince Veronica Carlson to do it. But, you know, for this, you know, like, Rod, like you were saying, it's like, all right, it's sort of like they're just doing it for the sake of, okay, um, you know, for just pure titillation, you know, not just because it's mm-hmm. a French film, but it's like, it's, it's exploitive, it's, you know, they're throwing more nudity in there, and it's like, okay, this is kind of a weird thing that we've never seen before. Okay, you got a, a nude girl rolling around in the hay, and she's being boinked by an invisible, well, later we find out it's an <laughs> invisible gorilla.
1: <laughs> which d- so which makes really it even a worse. Yes, exactly. But
2: it's like, of course he's got to be, of course they've got to make the creature a, a, a horny rapist. So it's like, okay, well, how is he going to dominate the world and control humanity if, <laughs> if you know, he, he's too busy satisfying his baser instincts all the time? You know, because... No. Because he's running around doing this <laughs> this kind of stuff all over the place. Because once once we start getting towards the end of the film, and you know, Cecile's flinging around talcum powder or flour or whatever, you know, he catches. Remember, he catches her in a room. And, of course, yeah,
3: just he strips her naked. Starts tearing her clothes off, yeah. And, 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 of course, she has this enormous
2: hero bush that was bigger than the other girls. I, <laughs> I just started laughing when I... honestly,
3: I when honestly I, wondered yeah. if it was fake. It's like, what's yeah, in the name I, of Yeah, I was God?
2: thinking... Me, too. I was thinking, like, you know, all of a sudden I started thinking, oh, my God, Merkin Muffley from Who <laughs> Picked?" <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, it's like, was that fake or was it... Or, like you remember the movie Life of Brian, of course, right? Oh, yeah. The Python, yeah. You know, and when the nude girl jumps out in front of Brian to defend him from his mother. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, right. and everybody's just staring at her because of... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> same thing. It's like, whoa that, that's that that's standing up about two inches from her body <laughs> that thing's like a Brillo pad
3: Jesus it's like whoa but you know she it's like wear the- un- I mean she doesn't even wear underwear often enough to just kind of hold it down. I mean, mm. it's, what is happening here? It's, fro- yeah. it's ro- roaming free. It's tumbleweeds. <laughs>
2: but, but it just seems like that's something that those three ladies had in common. You know, you had Maria the maid, you had mm. the the unnamed maid, and you had Cecile, and it's like, all right, all with the bush on display, which I hope it was in their contract, and they got paid <laughs> extra.
1: <laughs> well, this, this past sequence we just talked about does Lead to my own favorite line from the entire film, which is, you know, when the doctor finds the the girl, you know, after after she's been subjected to this treatment by the invisible man and and the do, and you know when the the good doctor rather and 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 Doctor right. Orloff's there and he's examining the woman and he's wanting an explanation what's going on here from Orloff and Orloff says, "I was curious to see how an invisible man would behave with a human female." Yeah, and, uh, yeah. and my thought is maybe like a visible man would. I mean, I'm <laughs>
3: Well, appa- appa- apparently, you you managed to make a rapist invisible. I mean, that's yeah. what it boils down to. I mean.
2: Yeah. Well, it's like, uh, well, wait. I, I know, and I started thinking, well, wait a minute. You, you mean are, are you that dim, Professor Orloff, that <laughs> you haven't observed him doing this before? Yeah. Like, is this an is this a new behavior? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. It just seemed like, yeah, I agree. It, it was a there's some really, really funny and odd and off lines in there. Oh,
3: yeah. quite a lot of them.
2: but but then, yeah, it's like at the end, it's like, yeah, the things really started falling apart in the last ten minutes, and that's where I know we talked about before where I've started feeling like things are missing.
1: Or are, the,
2: or they were trying to do some patchwork at the editing stage, and the sound, the sound, you know, when they're they did a little creative rewriting to say, well, you know, the sequence with the ape man setting the place on fire got lost, so we're just going to tell <laughs> you that that's what he
3: did. Well, not only that, let's let's talk about. Okay, I'm going to reference something both of you guys have seen this movie, and so I want I want you to you you'll immediately understand where I'm going with this reference. I do like Jess Franco's film Count Dracula. Okay? Mm
2: I did I do too.
3: I think I I I do thoroughly enjoy it, but there is one sequence in the movie that in general, and even for Mm -hmm. myself, will Yeah, I
0: know.
3: Your memory of it is always going to elicit a little bit of uh, derisive laughter. And that is the The zoom-ins on the stuffed animals that are supposed to suddenly terrify us. Yeah. Now, this movie has a similar sequence. Oh, yes. Where to try to convince us that (laughs) our, our main character doctor, the good guy, is in a room that is having the walls close in on him, we just carefully move the camera closer to the wall yeah. or slightly zoom slowly into the wall to give you the impression that maybe that's what's happening and we just have to kind of dope out that that's where it's going uh, without yeah. really any good visual evidence that that is occurring. Honestly, that that sequence just needed to be cut right, right. out of this damn movie.
2: <laughs> right, or, or other the doctor, you know, sweating
1: bullets...
3: <laughs>
2: yeah. So they, yeah. I think they showed yeah. him perspiring or something yeah. it's like yeah I, I was kind of scratching my head at that too
1: yeah I'll be honest I did not I did not understand the first time through what the fuck was going on in that scene yeah <laughs> I, what I thought what I thought was happening I thought that it was zooming into the wall because there was something behind the wall that was about to burst out of it and that's what he was terrified I was like what is he afraid of it looks like you know what's he terrified of it's something about to <laughs> smash this wall I, it was after the scene it was after cecile comes and rescues him. That I thought, wait a minute, was they trying to convey what I... think? And I had to rewind it and watch it through again and realize what they were trying to do. And you're right, it's a terrible sequence. It's awful, yeah. But at the same time, I had to give them just a little bit of like, okay, well... I gotta give you props for having the balls to, to say like, yeah. we we want to do this. We don't have the means. We don't have the budget. We have no way to show this, but we're gonna. Damn it, we're gonna do it anyway." Just- I, I I do love the
3: fact. Okay, this is a, this is another 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 quote from Beth. Uh-huh. And during that sequence, she said she said out loud, "Are they trying to convince us that the walls are closing in?"
2: <laughs> <laughs> I like her already. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right.
3: And, and, and I just kind of hung my head and went, yeah. Yes.
2: <laughs> you know, going back again to a little thread you started within this discussion, Rod, about how, you know, giving praise, okay? Oh, yes, Jeez. yes. So let's give a little praise, okay? So the doctor, our, so our doctor, our hero doctor, right? Mm-hmm. Not the professor, as, as, not to be confused with Professor Orloff. Right. <laughs> you know, but our right. doctor, you know, who he's a learned man. You know, right? So we know he's, you know, he has a brain, he can think. So I I did appreciate that he figured a way out of his predicament where he took the candle and he burned the crossbar. To, Even though that would prison. have to be
3: one super freaking powerful candle.
2: Yeah, because yeah, it sure did burn that thing up pretty quickly, right? Uh, yeah, but yeah. Also, yeah. when he came in, and of course, you know, clever of Cecile to use the Flour, pal- talcum powder, whatever. But whatever, what? when the when the doctor came in to rescue her, and he powders the invisible man, right? Yeah. Revealing, yeah. and that's of course the reveal where he's an ape, and he brains the now visible creature <laughs> with a fireplace poker. <laughs> Which, you know, the poor Invisible Man, I would add, okay, there was a scene, (laughs) there's a scene in the French trailer that was not in the English dub version that I watched, right, where Roland does the same thing, where he hits the powdered ape in the head with a rock, (laughs) right? really? Yes. And and I was like, wait a minute. So it's like the poor thing's getting hit, the poor guy's getting hit in the head, (laughs) you know? How did they leave that scene out? I don't know, but and it was interesting because here's where the powdering was interesting because he hits the powdered ape. So they both Roland and the ape creature they appear to be in the cell that in Roland's cell. Now presumably this is after the doctor has freed him, which is another thing that we didn't get to see because that was another right. outtake, mm-hmm. right? So this would have been after the fire starts. Okay? Because remember that he, the doctor, brains the ape, and then they open the door, and there's already smoke coming out. So the fire had already been started.
3: So am I going to be the crazy son of a bitch who sits here and says, "God damn it, this movie should have been longer."
1: <laughs> I think that's kind of where we're going. I think we, yeah, I think, I think that it sounds like a lot of this stuff that we're. You know, uh, talking about you know would have would have would would have made a better film. No, but at least it would have made it feel like the storytelling was a little more coherent. Coherent, yeah. Yes,
2: I I agree with you Uh, both because then we get to Orloff basically telling us that he's you know the the creature's been brained. So I'm like, all right, he's dead, right? No, because because then Orloff shows up and says, "Well, I'm going to stay behind to kill to kill him off." And that's Orloff tells us that the Invisible Man set the whole place on fire, right? And we actually do see Roland choke, choke to death on the smoke. Yeah. But we see that, right? right? But we know Orloff stays behind, and then, you know, but it's like, okay, well, obviously <laughs> Orloff was unsuccessful because we see the Invisible Man escape into the woods. See. But then gonna... Orloff, but then maybe Orloff did survive because he puts the dogs on him.
1: And they saying, here's, what I, here's what i think we should have seen i think what we were supposed to see was that you're right orloff gets this sudden out of nowhere burst of conscience you know which cracks me up you know that he's at the very <laughs> he's been a total like total remorseless like machiavellian bastard through the whole film until we get to the very last time we see him where he says like i must destroy this horrible thing i've created i, I
2: almost did right. a good take with my rum <laughs> <laughs>
1: So yeah so,
2: Conscience. so
1: so so I think I think what was supposed to happen is he goes he struggles with the you know uh he struggles with the invisible man and you know and it and and basically it I, I think he was supposed to then almost be killed and then the invisible man starts to escape and then Orlov's last Act is to free the dogs, and that's where he then dies, and then the dogs go to take out the Invisible Man, is I think what we were supposed to see.
3: Yeah, yeah, and and that makes a lot of sense, and would be a, 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 shall we say, a much more rounded Mm -hmm. finale for Mm -hmm. the the story as presented.
2: Rather Uh, than the disjointed ending we get, where they make some, somebody, it was either the Doctor or Cecile makes a comment about, well, let's hope the Invisible Man never... Terrifies the world again, and the next thing you know, there he is, escaping into the woods, and then mm-hmm. he's and then he's torn apart by the dogs. But we, we don't see it; you, you just yeah. hear him, <laughs> and you see the dogs leaping around. And then they cut to Cecile and the doctor smiling at each other. And it's like, we, you know, it's like, oh, It's like off to, the, off to their honeymoon, you know. I,
1: I know, happy ending.
2: They, you know, off he goes with her and her Euro Eurobush. You know, with,
3: <laughs> with, with, with the doctor with his arm around her going, do you know that there's such a thing as consensual sex?
2: <laughs> do, you, do you know there's such a thing as Brazilian waxing? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I, so, doctor, I don't know what you
3: mean. What are you talking about?
1: All right so so we talked all around it but let's just talk about the WTF moment of the whole film the reveal of the of the the invisible ape who, who's just? Uh, yeah. I would love to I would yep. I would love to have a picture of each of our faces the first time that this <laughs> happened <laughs> it's 20 years gone for me but yeah Oh my god my, thir- my first thought was you kind of buried the lead there doc you know you told us all you told us all film that you built this super intelligent super strong Nietzschean, you know, guy that's yeah, going to dominate yeah. the. You kind of left out the part that you turned him into an ape. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so. it's like,
2: exactly. I was like dumbfounded. I was like, it, it's an ape why yeah. and why is he an ape and he looks ridiculous cuz he's covered with powder he's like a powdered donut <laughs>
3: <laughs> powdered
1: powder, this season a very, powdered donut yeah. ape a very ape. lethargic a very lethargic powdered donut a you know, powdered like, donut
2: ape well there, there's your aquabats again yeah <laughs> I, I can hear them i can hear those boys singing it now
1: and by the way we we had, Rod's going to have to subtitle this episode The Triumph of John Hudson because
3: oh god I Rod's know.
1: frequent oh, co-host John Hudson has an ongoing joke through all the bloody pit episodes about every film having an invisible chimp somewhere in it and now we have found we literally found the film that has the invisible uh, chimp.
3: Let me let me. It, it's an invisible gorilla, which is the only. Yeah. It's like <laughs> give, at least give me that thread to pull myself away from this shitty fucking joke. But the the I should really quickly just explain if you've not listened to uh, and if if you've not listened to them, you're a lucky master, You're a mm. lucky bastard. But mm. but Bob, let me explain that years ago, Mr. Hudson and I were covering uh, a lot of Antonio Margariti films.
2: I think I've listened to one or two of those.
3: Uh, well, we got around to one that we were both very curious about, but neither one of us had seen, which was uh, early 70s, I think 1970 actually, uh, where uh, Margariti uh, made a, a kind of a you know live action Disney film ripoff called Mr. Super Invisible.
2: Oh, I've heard of that one. Okay.
3: even starred Dean Jones. So, you know, it's really, really tugging on that whole live-action Disney film mm. period, you know, that period. Mm. Uh, you know, it's like, huh, is it another Love Bug film? No, it's Mr. Super Invisible. Strap in. So, in the film, there is an actual invisible chimp. Uh, well, okay, there's... it. You'd have to listen to the episode... Hudson manages to turn it into something that uh, he he's now fashioned into a a really really good shiv that he stabs me with every fucking time <laughs> we record.
2: Uh oh! Did you guys it, stick with the margariti films?
3: Oh, for a very long time. I still, I still, I still try to cover. We we covered quite a few of them. Yeah,
2: yeah. Wasn't there an ape in Seven Deaths in the Cat's Eye? Yes, there was,
3: but he was quite visible, and so I was safe.
2: Wow, so not invisible. Okay, so not an invisible ape. Okay, well,
3: <laughs> it was an it was an orangutan that they kept calling something else. Now I can't even remember, but yeah, okay. Seven Deaths in the Cat's Eye. I've covered. Uh, I think I've actually covered that film twice. I covered it once with Hudson, and then once with Adrian Smith because he wanted uh-huh. he wanted to cover it as well. But the
2: uh, apes, uh, you you could write an article on apes in Eurotrash. I'm thinking King of Kong Island,
3: Island. I'm thinking Castle
2: of the Creeping Flesh, I'm thinking a lot of apes. Oh,
3: well, well, let's just say a lot of men in ape suits. (laughs) Yeah. yeah.
2: Oh, yeah, especially King of Kong Island. Hell yeah. (laughs) Oh, by the way, you guys should do a uh, Beyond Nashy and cover that one one day. I, I would totally jump all over that one. King
3: of Kong Island? I King, have stayed away from King of... We,
2: oh, my I God. I, I will make you guys a believer. We. we oh, can,
3: wait, wait. I can, I'm confusing it with, with Queen Kong. I can't remember... Oh, no, 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 no. King of Kong,
2: King of Kong, Island. Of Kong Island. Yeah, i Eve the Savage Goddess. I, it's the one with... Uh, what's her name? Uh, Esmeralda Barros, which... Um, there was an interview in Spaghetti Cinema with Brad Harris, and, and they were talking about her all her nude scenes. And Brad Harris is like, what? Wait, what? She wasn't naked? And it's like, oh, yes, she was. <laughs> but it's like, know. yeah, it's like you want a mad doctor in the jungle with radio-controlled, uh, mind-controlled monkeys. Uh, yeah, that's the one. <laughs> okay, it's,
3: it's, uh, it's, I have
1: to admit, you've sold me. We, we have to do this one. This one, we have to do this one here. We so.
2: we make a note. Yeah. Future, future beyond Nashi, we got to do. King of Kong. You know, you know who else we we should pull in some extra guests on that one because <laughs> David Zuzello would lose his mind if we covered King of Kong Island. Oh, okay oh, well, I, yeah,
3: I haven't, I haven't po- I only podcasted with David uh, with David Z once. I need. You're right. I need to. I need to have him back on the show. That's a good idea. Yeah.
2: Well, King of Kong Island is the movie where the joke comes from. Where. Brad Harris is doing the dance of the whitest white man on the planet, completely. <laughs> oh, and it's, oh, it's, it's oh, hysterical. You need, to see,
3: you need to stop talking about this movie, or I'm going to have to watch it tonight.
2: <laughs> All right. Well, we we better get back to Orloff and the Invisible Man because we're we're not we're not done with Orloff well,
3: yet. Well, I have a co- I have I have one question. Uh, uh, were you were you aware of the uh, Nashi connection to Fernando Sancho? No, tell me why it am I, is, I?
2: Are we doing? We're playing Six Degrees of Paul Nashi. I'm not connected.
3: No, no, no. This well, it it kind of depends on how you want to look at it. He was never, as far as I can tell, he was never on screen with Nashi. But Fernando Sancho did have a role in the film. Cross of the Devil, which Paul Nashie wrote the screenplay. Oh, yep.
0: Yep. That's
3: the film that got taken away from him, or the script that got taken away from him and shot by a different director.
2: That oh, was that the John Gilling him? thing? Yes, yes.
3: exactly.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, Who was a Hammer director, right? Yes, yeah. that's right. Yeah, Have yeah, you yes. seen
3: Cross of yes. the Devil? Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, love, I, got, I love that movie. I good think it's movie. great.
2: I have a box that's actually <laughs> sitting in my mother's garage. It's like a tub and i probably have about 100 vhs tapes in there which i there are oddball spanish movies in there cross of the devils in there too but there's some really odd spanish movies that from the 70s that to this day people don't know what they are never heard of them they they've, they've <laughs> never made it to dvd blu-ray laser you, you know nothing <laughs> nothing there that one of these days i'm going to dig that box out and i'm going to take a picture of it and send it to you guys and you're going to freak out when you see all oh, yeah. when you see all um, the the titles and you're going to be like what what the hell's that and what's that i got to
3: tell you uh, we have been we have for the past 6 or 7 years now been going through just a wonderful renaissance of paul nashe getting paul nashe films getting releases on blu-ray these be released? yeah Ex, you know extras a lot uh, the the cult of nashi continues to grow the the, the uh, it's 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 an exponential thing and it is phenomenal as we see we, we see the the various boutique blu-ray companies dipping further and further into his career and releasing things that we never thought would... Not not just things that we didn't think would actually get a release over here in the States, but things that we thought we would never actually see, like Howl of the Devil, for God's sake. Oh, yeah, well...
2: Oh, well, and that one in particular, I mean... Mm -hmm. And then you get a a contemporary artist like Rick Melton, right? Mm -hmm. Who does those beautiful covers, and he did that also, the one for... uh, uh, Beast in the Magic Sword. I, mm-hmm. I was so impressed. He's on Facebook, and I, I sent him a message uh, because he gets a lot of criticism. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, he he's funny because he's so resilient. Um, I don't know him, but I follow him, right? And I follow a lot of artists, and I, I'm really impressed with him. And I I finally just shot him a message, and I said to him, just you know, don't listen to all the narrow-minded pissants, and we're we're damn lucky. To have an artist like you in 2020, well, it's 2022. Which, which he yeah. appreciated the comment, but but he does some amazing, amazing work, and the oh, no, stuff no, that yeah. he did yeah. for those Nashi Blu-rays just yeah. blew me out of the water.
3: It's fantastic stuff, fantastic.
2: Oh, and now you got uh you, you mentioned wh- what's the next one coming up? Uh, Night of the
3: Executioner. Yeah, yep, they, they it's coming out on blu ray Yeah,
2: yeah, and it's like you know. I've only ever seen that in Spanish. And, and, of course, I get it. It's like, okay, it's Nash's take on Death Wish, and he's like the Charles Bronson character. But it's like, I can't
3: wait. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I definitely. can't
2: wait to see it, you know, with, yeah. with, with, with subtitles and on Blu-ray. It's like, holy crap. Uh, well, that's one I'm going to buy. You know. Well,
3: here's get, the thing. <clears throat> I keep, I, I would have said, if you had asked me five years ago, will we ever see How the Devil... On a on a Blu-ray, I would have said you're fucking nuts. Yeah, no, yeah. Ne- yeah. never going to yeah. see it. Yeah. Yeah. I would have said similar things about Frenchman's Garden. Yeah. Yep. Or mm-hmm. uh, uh, the uh, uh, you know whatever you want to call it, uh, Devil Incarnate or yep. El Caminante. I would have said yep. we're never going to see that. And the Traveler. Yeah. We yep. have. I said, but at the same time, as as his films continue to creep out onto Blu-ray, it is a joy to see it. But I. You were just talking about the fact that there are films that you've got in a tub somewhere on a bootleg that have never even seen the digital light of day legally. Oh yeah, and crazy! Me, it's crazy. For me, the 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 one now that I am like waving a flag for and starting to starting to try to starting to try to wish into existence is a release of. Cross of the Devil because yeah. it is a Nashi script. Yeah. There is a great story behind what happened with that production. Yep.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: It yep. is a
3: very good movie that yep. ne- that nearly no one has been able to see.
2: Right. Oh, I totally agree with you. It, it is a great movie, and and you know i I would hold it up there. If somebody can put The Frenchman's Garden out there, yeah. which I I think it's one of I, I mean, is Nashi a, a Nashi directed movie. It's it's a beautiful movie. It's 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 one of his best movies.
3: Yeah, precisely. It's, exactly. it's
2: such a it's such a great movie, and I, I I so I mean it's so well made, so well done, so well acted, and it's so different from everything else that he's done. But yeah, Cross of the Devil would be great. I I mm-hmm. would I, I would, and I think it would really open a lot of eyes, sort of like anybody who's seen Frenchman's Garden. Probably, gave, you know, especially the president getting a Blu-ray presentation, it probably gave them pause and went, "Hmm, you know, what's this?"
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Y- yeah. You know, I think they get the same reaction with Cross of the Devil. There, there's it's there's a lot of stuff that I think people still need to see, mm-hmm. and there's there's just there's and, and there's a lot of stuff that has kind of disappeared into the the void of the, the early days of VHS tape trading. And yes. I'm glad yes. I kept all this stuff. Like, yeah. you know, we, we lost Craig Ledbetter recently, you know, God rest yeah. his soul. Yes. And it's yeah. like, I worry about, you know, what's going to happen because he was sort of like this repository. There's no sort of, he was like this repository for so much of the stuff that I'm afraid it's just going to vanish into the ether. And I'm thinking, I, I agree. Oh, I, thank I God I, I kept... I kept all the DVD. I, I have dozens. And do, you know, probably a hundred DVDRs from him. Well,
3: what's What's terrible is that just the week before he passed away, so unexpectedly, he was chiming in. There was some movie you brought up in one of those ongoing chat threads that we have yep. on uh, Messenger, and
2: uh, oh yeah, right. Craig, and then, yeah, Craig and jumped
3: then. in. Craig jumped in and said, uh, "You know, uh, yeah, I don't know that there's a. I, I don't know that I have that." And then. Like a couple hours later, we went. Oh, I went and looked, and oh, I do have it, and it's in English. Yep. And I was like, Oh my God! Okay, wait a minute. I need to get. I need to get hold of that. I need to talk. Let me talk to you next week about getting a copy of that. And that was the last time we spoke before he passed I away. I know. It,
2: and how like, many?
3: How many times have I been in that position with Craig Ledbetter over the over the past twenty five years?
2: It's It's amazing that he resurfaced, and we were so lucky to. We briefly had him in that Euro tra, European trash cinema group on Facebook, which, which yeah. by the way, I did not start. I, I have to give credit to David Zuzello. Yeah, I was going to say, I saw what David did. Yeah, they started it back in 2010, because like, at the time, they, they knew, you know, like David especially was, he, he intimately knew what I was dealing with. I was going through a divorce at the time, but he wanted, he was kind of keeping the, you know, that's just David for you, you know, his enthusiasm, and just, he's always keeping the flames going. You know, and it's like with when we lost Craig, we were so lucky to have him for a couple of months. And I'm like, wow, mm-hmm. you know, we've, we've got him. He's like a legend. Yeah. And yeah. we've got him posting. And it's like, and, and it was always like, you know, I love posting about obscure 60s Euro spy films. And it's like, I've got a lot <laughs> of them, but I, I've seen a lot of them, but I haven't seen them all. And Craig was always the go to. And he was the one that, and, and people, everybody has their stories about Craig Ledbetter it's like he he was the one who convinced me to watch this give this a try yeah. you know Craig would tell me you know oh yeah killers are challenged you gotta see that or Yipotron you know which is an odd Janine Renaud spy film and I'm like Yipo what? <laughs> <laughs> this, this is like about 20 years ago and he sent it to me I'm like Oh yeah, it's like give me more of this.
3: <laughs> well, I'm just remembering, you know, back in the back in the '90s when I first started buying, uh, when I first started buying films from him, uh, if I was mildly curious about something, he would just stick the first few minutes of a particular movie that I wasn't, yep. you know, that I was curious about. He would just stick the first few minutes of it on the end of yep. the tape of whatever I was buying on, on one of the tapes, and just yep. say, "Yeah, yeah, I'll put a I'll put a post it note on that one, so you'll know that there's a." Uh, there's a, a snatch of that movie on there at the end, so you can check it out and see if it's something you want to you want to see all of. Yeah, and he did that all the time.
2: Oh yeah, he was so great about that. Or if he knew you had an interest, well, he was like kind of my gateway to Nashi, because I remember when I wrote him early on, and and I felt so validated when he wrote me back, and it's like yeah, Paul Nashi, yeah, I like his movies too. Hmm. And this is like back in like the late Hmm. 80s. And I'm like, wow, this guy Hmm. is really he he really gets it or he Hmm. really gets where I'm he he was so far beyond where I was. And and it was and, you know, Craig would like write these great letters on legal yellow pads. And I would get so excited to get a letter from him. And it's like, oh, yeah, I found the Nashi Ripper. You know, back in the back in the early nineties, I was like, "What? Seven Murders for Scotland Yard?" It's like, and it, and it and it broadcast on Italian TV. You know, and it had like the intermissions and stuff. And it's like now I have like a I have a DVD. I don't think that's made the jump to Blu-ray yet. Has it? No, no, it hasn't. No. But see, yeah, that's what you're talking be nice. about.
3: Is he, Craig was one of those? He, he was exactly the kind of fan that I really try to be myself. He was yes. enthusiastic, and the idea was. He wanted to. He wanted. He threw his arms around this stuff, and he wanted you to join him and to throw your arms around it too. Do yes. you Enjoy this. Let's talk about it. Let's really, really talk about this stuff yes. because this is fun. This is entertaining, and yes. it was a. It was a. There was a welcoming kind of, uh, pleasant, happy version of enjoying this stuff instead of a sneering, looking down your nose at, at attitude yes. about it. And it's the kind of thing that that not just brought you back to him. To because he had things that you were never going to be able to find anywhere else. He yep. he, he brought you back because you'd end up in a, a two-hour-long conversation with him about these movies on the phone.
2: Oh yeah, and it was so easy to do. And you'd have a conversation with him, and it's like, you know, fans like us. It's like you felt like you knew him all your life, and it's yeah. like he and he definitely was. Uh, he set an example, I think, mm-hmm. for. Yeah. The way the rest of us should approach this stuff and approach other fans. And I always tried to remember, like, you know, like, Rod, I knew you were in the old Yahoo, You're a Trash Paradise. And it's like, oh, yeah. I, and I try to teach, I try to treat the Facebook group the same way where I was always saying, without saying, we love our newbies. We love our newbies because, like, we were all a newbie at one point. Mm-hmm. And I intimately remember when I was, I didn't know who the heck Paul Nashie was. Right, And it's like, I didn't know who the heck Howard Vernon was. But, you know, you had people like Craig Ledbetter. And, you know, I I was blown away when I I read an article about Jess Franco. And it's like, here's Tim Lucas writing about, you know, he said, like, I realized I didn't know enough about a director named Jess Franco. So I decided I would just track down and watch every movie available at the time. And this was like around 87 or 88. Think about how early that was when Tim Lucas was doing that kind of stuff and mm-hmm. it's like, it was like a two part article and God bless him for publishing it. And I, and I kept it and it's still fun to go back and read. Cause it's like that early enthusiasm that those guys had, you know, and, and, the, and the, that's and why
3: I like questions it. that over the years have been answered. And, yep. and, 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 but, but, yep, yep. but those, yeah, it's just so wonderful.
2: Well, and, and that's why I like supporting things like, like what you guys are doing. Because, you know, it's you're kind of here we are, we're in 2023, but you guys have this boundless enthusiasm for these things. And, you know, we get into these conversations and it's so much fun. And, and that's why I, I like supporting it, because, you know, whether you know it or not, you're you guys are in, you guys are influencers, Okay, (laughs) you are, you know, this this is what I do for a lot of us all in the future. It it, it doesn't have anything to do with film, but I work Mm -hmm. in education, but I work with a lot of influencers in schools. So I know what influencers do. And that's what you guys are. So that's why it's like, all right. And this is something that I enjoy and I believe in. And, you know, and and it goes back to kind of that David Zuzello Kind of uh, you know tireless enthusiasm for you know whatever he happens to be caught up in the moment like if you know you're watching you you're following on Facebook you know he's he's exhausting himself with crime Italian crime films right now which has been great <laughs> fun to read about and watch but it's like you know it, it, it was sort of like same thing with Craig it's like with Craig Ledbetter it's like what is he gonna what is he gonna move on to what is he gonna tackle next? yeah yeah you know what's yeah. next? Boy, I know we've moved really far field of orloppity.
3: <laughs> well, let's 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 pull ourselves back and see if there's any any. There are any other comments we want to make about the film before we? Uh, yes. before we move on to uh to to the to the uh, to the mailbag section of the show. So uh, I have uh,
2: I have a parting shot to take. Oh yeah, please. <laughs> oh my God,
3: let's hear it then.
2: A parting shot. So okay. So. We, we all remember, what was it, in the 80s? You had the movie The Breakfast Club. Well, I have the Eurobush Club. Yeah. <laughs> so you got Brigitte Carva, who is an yeah. actress that apparently she's only done one film. This one. And this is she it. He yeah, was, <laughs> was Cecile, which she had the biggest Eurobush of all. And then you had Isabel Del Rio, who we had Fernando Sancho was lusting after her which of course she had the crazy eyes and then we talked i i think i mentioned uh yvonne hanska i think Mm -hmm. that's her name actually she did a few more films i think isabel del rio only did two other movies but here's a trio of actresses whose careers went seemingly nowhere but they're all united in that one thing in this film they all i guess contracted (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to put their Euro bush on display. <laughs> they spent
3: they spent a week in a in a in a very cold castle showing their bodies.
1: Yes, yes, they did. Yes, they did. Well
2: yes, they did. And and there's the thing about Europe is like, you know, you think about the United States. If you've ever visited Europe and I've been to Eastern Europe twice, and it always hit me how old and ancient that country was. I was in a monastery where I was holding a book in my hands which was detailing all the renovations, and I think it went back to the 1300s before the writing faded. I'm thinking, oh, "Oh God, this thing is so old. And you think, okay, United States, 1776, so what, we're uh, somewhere around almost 250 years old?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Right?
2: So it's like, Mm -hmm. we're so young. We don't have this mm. kind of stuff. We don't have this kind of history. You don't have these cool castles like the mm-hmm. the one where they I know they were putting smoke pots and and like, you know, Roman candles in the windows <laughs> to make it look like the ape <laughs> man set the place on fire, but <laughs> yeah. you, you know, but but still it was it's it's fun to have those
1: locations. Oh god, yeah.
2: And you know, I I think on the Facebook group I posted a stack of uh genre in films that I had, which I'm going to be, you know, popping into a binder. But of course now I'm like, oh God, you know, now I've got to sit down and watch all of these be- mm-hmm. because I've got, you know, this is kind of it's like, okay, Orloff, and the Invisible Man. It's like I got to scratch the French itch. Now I want to watch all these Jean Roland movies because I, I just, I just have to. You know, I feel compelled.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, and I still, I still haven't made it through. I've still got even though I've watched a lot of Roland films, I just this past year watched for the first time uh, Two Orphaned Vampires, which I just loved. I mean, it was... Oh, that's
2: that's that's a fun one.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: Well, have you found out with Roland, it's like, I mean, still, I think Grapes of Death may be one of his more accessible movies. Yeah, but, I agree. Yeah. But boy, there's there's some really interesting stuff. Like, I know that, like, I I, I really like the uh, the... Uh, the the uh, the demoniacs, you know, the mm. one with the pirates. Mm. Yeah, yeah. You know, which is,
1: you know,
3: I, I, I'm I a big fan. I'm either big love fan it or hate it. Yeah,
1: fascination awesome.
3: I love fascination. I love yep. of death. I love uh, shiver of the vampires. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just-
1: yep.
2: Oh yeah. 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 I, I mean, you know, and there's even fun to be had with something like sidewalks of Bangkok. <laughs> you know.
0: That
2: <laughs> seen so. That. It's like and redemption put all these things out many many years ago and it's like oh my god i have a stack of these so it's like all right i guess i'm going to be going on a Roland binge at some point when i you know once i get through my my next plan binges which is going to be spy films and more el santo which
3: yeah I, I've, I've begun to fill the uh the, i've begun to fill the pull to finally start covering some of the the Roland films in podcast form so i'm I'm thinking that's going to have to that's going to have to be something that I slide into either uh, this year or next because there's a there's a lot I want to say there's a lot to say about the genre land films and there's a the it's a it's a, it's you know he's he he didn't get to make nearly as many films as I wish he would have but the the ones that are there they're like they're concentrated they're strong you know
2: okay now not to make more work for you guys. <laughs> no, no, no. And you guys are very busy guys, right? But I know you've got a lot of gas in the tank. But I know what you, now that I know you guys pretty well, I know what you like. When are you going to do a side podcast and cover all of El Santo's movies? Ooh, yeah. That's, okay. Uh,
3: you're not the first to suggest it. No, no, no. Matter of fact, it may have been Troy that may have said something about it in the past. I would probably support have. it.
2: I probably have. I, I would i would i would support it i would be happy to help i i i'm looking at completing a santo collection what he's got like 54 movies Fifty, 50 yeah, four movies. how long would it take us to do that
3: well, see that. well but yeah let's talk about long-range projects anyway it is easier than ever now because to, you we have the first two that just came out i just got my uh indicator set
2: mm-hmm.
3: of the first two Santo films on Blu-ray.
2: Isn't that crazy? Is that mm-hmm. are those the ones that were shot in Cuba? Are you, you know I would have talking to about? To
3: look, I think they are Cuban.
2: They're early, the, the, you're talking about, about those early, yeah. early, early Santo movies. Yeah, the
3: very first two, I think, where like
2: the Infernal Men.
3: Yeah, the exactly the evil
2: brain
1: yep. is that evil one. Evil brain. Was, yeah. Yep. I think that was the first one. Yeah. Oh yeah, you, you yeah. know and. Boy, there's a
3: Yeah, lot of fun. yeah. There's evil of them. Uh, Santo versus the evil brain, and, and Santo versus the infernal men. So, if, yeah, yeah.
2: If you guys ever are looking for an immersion project, and, and you know, hey, I'm just saying.
1: Hey, I would. I mean, I, 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 that is something we need to get around to. So far, we've only covered one Santo film, and as part of Beyond Nashi, uh, which, yep. which is really probably his best, probably one of my favorite of all of them uh, is the Santo versus Doctor Death because it had so many people from the Nashi verse. Involved with yeah.
3: it, we were able to cover that one, and it's, you know that one is now available on Blu-ray as well.
2: It's a great um, one, but I I would hold up maybe four or five others above that one.
3: Oh, uh, so, certainly, depending on your tastes. I mean, the, mm-hmm. the the monster films, the ones where he's fighting. Oh God, you, you gotta know, love Dracula, this. werewolves, oh, and, oh, and, well, well, and Blue, Santo and, and Blue and
1: of The, the Empire Women's
2: yeah. way up there. The yeah. the the, the Los Lobos, where it's like, where else can you where else can you get a, you know, oh my gosh, Santo calls himself up a posse and hunts werewolves. Well, it's not just
3: that. Here's the, here's the horrible thing, and this is, I mean, because I've spent the past 20-plus years watching as many Santo films as I can get my hands on via bootlegs, and this is, you know, it, 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 some, you know some periods are easier than others to find yep. these films, and the, uh, the the joy of it, though, is that it's not just the Santo films. There are all those other films that are part of those kinds of productions yep. where you get into all the Blue Demon films. Yeah, into yeah, you get into yep. the the, uh, the women wrestling films. Yep. you get into all these other Mexican lucha you know lucha libre connected films that, the I mean, that, that not exactly not only that you're talking about all kinds of crazy ass stuff and you start getting into realizing that. There's almost, uh, yeah, if you want to talk about just the Santo films, okay, there's 50-some-odd Santo films. But that's about half of the movies that you start looking, if you were starting to compile a list of the movies produced that are really kind of connected to that... Oh yeah. Genre to mm-hmm. the, the whole thing. Whether you know whether they you know whether they were intended to be that way or not, it gets crazy. But listen, we are well off in the stratosphere. Let's know we let's reel this let's reel hey, this yeah, back in.
2: Please, please do, because yes, we tangents are
3: us. Okay, so let's just, just uh, to to sum up, uh, Orloff and the Invisible Man, greatest film ever, right?
1: Yeah, just a masterpiece. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> here's, what I, here's the last thing I to say. I would assume. agree. <laughs> here's, here's what I would say about Orloff and the I, Invisible Man. It's not not a good film, but mm-hmm. it is full of so much that I love about Euro horror. You know, I would never, I would never recommend this film to someone who is just getting into who is like, hey, what is this Euro horror thing you're right. talking about? Yeah. Oh, but, yeah. some, but to somebody who 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 has watched a lot of it and loves it and has never seen it I'd say yeah watch it because as crazy as it is as as bad, it's got just some of those magical things that you that we love about these type of films
3: well I I, I I i've often said that there are different films to introduce people to at different times this is this movie is not Eurohara 101 no this is a this is a senior level Yeah. <laughs> viewing experience for the Urohara fan. Someone who has marched their way through a lot of stuff Mm -hmm. and has started to refine their tastes and know that what they're watching is of a certain type Mm -hmm. and they can enjoy it or they can just kind of observe it Mm -hmm. and they know what they're looking at, whether they fully appreciate it or not. So this is a senior level Urohara film. Agree. You know, you're going to be in year four. This is going to be, you know, this is going to be something that you, you know, you start to, while you're watching it. You're probably already getting ideas about that senior thesis. Maybe this keys into it. Maybe it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Agree. Yeah. It's like right. You're obviously with a film like Orloff and the Invisible Man. You're catering to not a casual fan or a beginner. No. This is somebody who it, it, we're going to assume that they're already heavily immersed in this stuff
1: mm-hmm. correct and they correct. know how to know how to roll with it <laughs> know yeah. how to roll yes, with punches sir.
2: yes sir oh, yeah. and and that's and hence the joys of if we ever get around to it, King of Kong Island, which I'm going to keep putting that, I'm going to put that plug in your ear. Okay.
3: Okay. You, you, you are, you are enticing us. I have yeah, to you say. Uh,
2: <laughs> I, you know what? I, I will send you. I will send you my. Uh, all I have is a DVD, but I will send it to you. You'll you watch it. And it's like, <laughs> yep, that's our next podcast with Bob. Yep, we got to do that.
3: You know the horrible thing? There's a part of me that wonders if I already own the damn thing. <laughs> oh my God. Okay, well, folks, listen, we're Mike. going to take a brief break. And then we'll come back. We've got a few emails that uh, we want to we wanna read out. And luckily, uh, we're going to have Bob stick around for these because some Yay. of them pertain to him. So hang on one second. We'll be right back.
2: Aren't TV movies fun? You see all these familiar faces, but doing really unfamiliar things. And I think that that's really exciting. And I think that's something important to the history of film in general.
1: Join Amanda.
2: There's a lot going on in that scene that is unspoken between two men. So I'm just telling you, I think there was a little Brokeback Mountain
1: <laughs> Dad, I think Therese is a little bipolar Her voice, it goes from this sort of s- sexy, sensuous voice to Okay, Ramsey, get out of here <laughs> it's like, oh, God. And Nate I
2: love, you know, in like the late 70s, early 80s The crazier
3: a person got, the bigger their hair got
1: <laughs> <laughs> As they discuss their favorite made-for-TV movies
3: Mr. Hazelrigg
1: on the made for tv mayhem show this man came to see him he never comes to see him at work <laughs> what kind of stories could
0: he have to tell him <laughs> tales of his postal delivery
3: all right everybody we are back gonna dive into the mailbag. we have a couple of pieces of mail here that uh, troy has been kind enough to point out we should pay attention to
1: Yay. Yeah, because they were, they're were they all responses to the Hunchback of the Morgue episode that we did with Bob a while back. So that's why we cool. asked Bob to stay Woo. here. I've, actually, the two I've got are really basically form one because they're from the same person. So I forgot I'd read those and then you can
3: oh, read okay. the other okay. one here.
1: Sounds this, good. this is from uh, Lee Perkins, actually.
3: Oh, okay. Um, Lee,
1: Lee has written it many times. Mm-hmm. It goes by the title Darth Perkins on his uh, yes. <laughs> his email header.
2: All right. A, fa- a true yes. fan.
1: <laughs> so he says... Hello, Rod and Troy. Great, Nashi cast on Hunchback of the Morgue. Have you covered a film which is like an English version of it called Horror Hospital? Um, he says they're both made in 1973. Uh, he says it features mad doctors, transplants which don't make sense, and primordial creatures.
3: Michael Goff, if I remember correctly. It's, uh, yes, no, yes. yes, he, he, sir, says, that's the he word. says it's
1: more a film for the bloody pit, as I can't find a Spanish connection, he says Michael Gogg is in it, and he is slicing that ham deliciously thick. <laughs>
3: <laughs> as, he, as he usually does. As, as
1: <laughs> only Michael oh, Gogg can, if he uh, needed it. Yeah. Yes. Oh,
2: he, can, he can turn a phrase, yeah.
1: <laughs> <It is nice. laughs> but, uh, Yes, Michael Gogg never met a piece of scenery he did not find tasty. It's true. It's so, very uh, true. He said it's odd that England produced this little group of ultra-gory films in the 60s to the 70s, such as early 60s Dr. Blood's Coffin to the later Deathline in the 70s. I'm sure we all love Deathline. Oh, Deathline's great, great, yeah. He says, yet they played heavily cut at our own theaters, and especially on TV. He says, uh, He says hello to Bob Sargent as well, and the weird hands of Jesus. <laughs> <Yes>. Hello. <laughs> Remember? Er- <laughs> yeah. I, it took me a minute when I first read yeah. it to and I go, oh, he's talking about the, <laughs> the that bizarre weird, That
3: weird uh, thing in Rosanna Yanni's uh, apartment. Yeah. Oh, yeah, the hands. Yeah. Yes,
1: yeah. yes. Yes. Uh, Yes, yeah, so the, the
2: one of the, one of the many mysteries of Hunchback. Yes, so he, uh, which we, which we, which we unraveled, and I, I think it's it's if if there was a MythBusters Nashi episode, that would have been it. Could,
3: could have been, could have been, yeah, yeah,
1: true. So he um, he actually wrote then a oh. second letter, which apparently he wrote right after he wrote the first one, as he finished watching the film, he's or actually finished listening to our podcast. He says, "I just heard the end of the podcast. I've just bought what I consider to be the best of. I guess we got into Bob Hope discussion. Did we get into Bob Hope discussion on that show? Or oh, something I don't that remember. Did we? He must." Oh, did we talk about the road
2: movie? I think we did, maybe. Maybe.
3: Maybe.
2: I think we did. We went off on another one of our weird
1: This is why we need readers. This happens half the time we read letters (laughs) from readers. They'll come and we'll go, did we talk? Did we we talk about about that? that? Did they write to the wrong podcast? Wait,
3: did we give out a a beef stew recipe? (laughs) What the fuck were we (laughs) doing?
1: (laughs) So anyway.
2: That's my fault. uh (laughs) Yeah. I get, I get you guys off track. <laughs> oh please, oh
3: please! Listen, like he, it, it doesn't he, take you, Bob. It takes, it takes anything whatsoever. It takes a cat meowing outside the door.
2: <laughs> we we've talked about Columbo, Godzilla, and a Christmas story during that Nashy <laughs> <Yep>. episodes.
3: <laughs> Indeed.
1: He says, he says. So we must have talked about Bob Hope. So he says, I've just bought what I consider to be the best of Bob Hope's back catalog, um, which is about sixty films. He says, and I can recommend Caught in the Draft to Bob Sargent.
2: Oh, he, oh! I like that. He says that. it's
1: hilarious, start to finish. Also, an obscure Hope film called Casanova's Big Night, which co-stars Basil Rathbone and Vincent Price. <clears throat> He's yeah.
2: Oh, I want to see that.
1: Oh, oh. oh so yeah, yeah really. Yeah, he, said, he said I had to get this from Korea. Why? <laughs>
2: <laughs> Korea. Oh, oh man, this is this is a good correspondent. He's a yeah. keeper. <laughs> he says
1: he says between yeah, Vincent Price and, and Basil, Rath- Basil Rathbone. Casanova's Big Night. It's called.
2: Yeah, you know it's funny that he if, if that he keyed into that because I think we were probably talking about those Bing Crosby, Bob Hope road movies. God knows why they they came up. <laughs> but, <laughs> but but I'm a fan of those, especially the Road to Morocco. Yeah. But it's like, oh my my God, if you got Vincent Price or any of the Basil Rathbone Sherlock Holmes movies, which I've seen like a dozen oh, times yeah. oh, each. Yeah.
1: <clears throat> we're going yeah, through all like,
2: those. You know, we all love those. Yeah, we're things, going. We're
3: going through the the, the Universal Wrath, the 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 Wrathbone Sherlock Holmes films. We're going through those on the bloody pit. Troy and I are so.
2: Well, thank you, thank you, thank you to this uh, letter writer yeah. for for writing in with these kinds of things. You know, it's interesting because when he talked about Horror Hotel, I was our Horror Hotel, excuse me, Horror Hospital. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not and, familiar with that. Uh, Rod, you mentioned Michael Gough. Yeah. and I don't know why this popped into my head, but. Michael Goff is one of those actors, very special because if you've ever seen the Legend of Hell House, oh yeah, yeah, right, and it's like he is the basically the the incarnation of the the evil of the house, the personality of the house. He doesn't he doesn't have any lines, not one in the movie. Does he have one? No, no, he doesn't no, have a no. single. Line okay, yeah, nothing. all right. So yeah, yeah, I don't think he ever spoke. You, you see him. Mm-hmm and and michael Goff, of course is so recognizable and it's and it's kind of a shock when you actually do see him it's a bit of a reveal some kind of spoiling it for anybody who's ever not seen the movie but i highly recommend it because it's legend of great hell house movie. is definitely one of those movies for me cuz i saw it at a drive-in and it freaked me yeah, out man. when i was a, kid. It's a scary movie man. And I, it's a great haunted house movie mm-hmm. and it's a great one of those great paranormal uh you know investigator type movies but really really early but so so great Uh, apparently edgar wright was really affected by it too because he did that crazy phony trailer (laughs) for the uh for the grindhouse movie what was it called don't Um, yeah don't yeah. <laughs> that was it. Oh, which is such a great trailer oh, don't awesome. yep. don't 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 it's like oh my god he he even had a Roddy McDowell look alike but <laughs> he it's did, like
0: yeah,
2: yeah <laughs> but it's like yeah Legend of Hell House and Michael Goff holy crap that was a great one I got I'm gonna have to go back and watch that
1: yeah I have to revisit it every few Octobers and I know it did circles up in my rewatch but isn't yeah. it it's a great Halloween movie isn't it really it really is you know? Uh, by the way, there's one last line on this uh, email here. Uh, he signs off with saying, uh, "Between Tom Conway, George Sanders, Basil Rathbone, and Vincent Price, that's a whole lot of actors who played Holmes, a saint, or a falcon." True.
2: Oh my yep. God! Boy, this this guy sounds He's like on, a hey, kindred spirit to me. No, I he mean, is, yes. Yes.
1: thank you, Lee. It's yes. like
2: I read. I I have George Sanders' autobiography on my nightstand. Oh wow! Yeah, you were talking and about it's like that. it. It was out of print, and I, I my wife got me a. because she knew I was a big fan. She got me a copy when they reprinted it, and it immediately went out of print again. And I read it, and then she loaned it to her sister, and then it vanished for a while. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and then I got it back, so I have it, and it's like I'm going to read it again, but it's a hilarious read. But it's funny because Conway being, uh, you know, uh, Sanders' brother, mm-hmm. of course – Um, You know, doing all those Falcon movies, I've seen most of those too, but um, I'll watch anything, anything with George Sanders in it, and I don't care if it's a Daniel Boone episode, I don't care if it's a man from Uncle, I don't care if it's the girl from Rio, I'll watch
1: it. Well, Rod... uh rod loaned me all of the falcon films and so i've been working my way through them i've got i think i have got two left to have watched them all oh and, those are so those are a lot of fun they are fun and and the one that the, but it kills me the one uh, uh you know where they basically handed over the reins to tom conway from george sanders mm-hmm. because in some ways it's really kind of daring in that they have you know <clears throat> the original falcon sanders you know dies all is killed off in the film yeah but oh, yeah. at the same time the series was so light and breezy that the whole moment is passed over like it's nothing you know it's like there's no yeah. there's no sense of I mean there's no sense of gravitas or any kind of loss it's like sanders his brother's killed and then they just cut to the code it was just kind of a ha ha, ha. you know i'm the father you know just uh, you know uh, it's just like okay we had the guts to do that but we're just not gonna we're still not gonna let things get dark at all here
2: <laughs> you, you know it's funny because with conway i see him in other movies and my my wife and i watch um less than we used to but we, we used to watch turner classics so much mm-hmm. but Turner Classics has gotten so repetitive, where they we find my you know my wife makes the comment often where they keep they do keep showing the same movies over mm. and over, and she yeah. she and I realize there's there's very little that's new that we mm-hmm. haven't seen. Right. You know, I mean, new being movies from like the 40s and the 50s and stuff like that. But mm. but you know, it is really fun as film fans to you know, and you guys are very well rounded too, uh, and it's fun to. Go back and look at these kinds of things, and you know, and and it's interesting because it color, kind of colors your vision and your commentary uh, differently when you're looking at, um, um, you know, your, these European films that we love from the 60s and the 70s and the 80s, you know, which are very different sensibility. Here's
3: a here's a, a tangent that I really don't think we should go on, but I can't stop myself. Um, go for it. There's a there's a part of me that has started over the past few years to worry that I'm eventually going to turn into one of those old crotchety assholes who thinks that every movie that's being made now is a piece of shit. Um, I'm going to turn into one of those people who's like, they don't make them like they used to because everything they make now is just garbage. Mm -hmm. And it's like,
2: well, what's the last modern movie that you've seen that you
3: liked? uh, Probably the last movie I saw in the theater. (laughs) Or I wouldn't, or I wouldn't be, or I wouldn't even be talking in this way. Well, no, that's not true. Because the last movie that I saw in the theater, I have very mixed. I have a very mixed opinion on, which is, uh, oh. Brent, what was it? Uh, Infinity Pool. Uh, okay.
2: I, I, would you watch it? Would you watch it again? Yeah,
3: I almost have to watch it again because there's so much going on in it. It just doesn't. It just didn't work for me. <laughs> Uh, okay. Uh, and I think that it's interesting that what I realized Infinity Pool seemed to be about is not something I've seen a lot of people talking about. Uh, it seems to be Brandon Cronenberg talking, talking about, um, well, essentially talking about uh, imposter syndrome and the feeling, mm-hmm. uh, the feeling of being in a place where you, you fear that your creative uh, abilities aren't actually any good. Where you start to, it it almost feels as if we're watching uh, the son of a great creator start to have really serious doubts, you know, three movies into his career about whether or not he's good enough to actually be doing what he's doing.
2: Interesting. Uh, so you get into psychology there
3: a, a little bit, but the, the the film is interesting. It just it didn't work for me as well as his previous film, Possessor, which I thought was brilliant. Worked for me. I thought Possessor okay. from a few years ago was simply amazing. It was, it was good. Yeah. Yeah. Possessor's. I highly recommend Possessor, but Infinity Pool. It didn't work for me. So do I want to watch it again? Yeah, I do because I there's there's a lot there, and I'm wondering if uh, a second viewing will make me. Will make me like it more or make me like it less, but um, but what I fear is that the people who start talking about um, you know nothing, no nobody makes any good movies anymore. It's like no man. It's just that movies change over time. Mm. The way in which films are made are different. The types of stories uh, uh, there there may you know they may still be you know the whole you know boy meets girl, boy loses girl, right. boy explodes penis with a bomb. I don't know. (laughs) But at the same time, the the ways in which films are made do change over time and if and if you're not willing to accept that or if you are hidebound in what you accept as you know appropriate filmmaking technique or fo- appropriate ways in which stories are being told then all right yeah you're going to reach a point where you can no longer enjoy anything that's being made today i hope i never get Maybe. to that point because then it that seems to me to be kind of the death of of your enthusiasm for mm-hmm. something that Entertains you. It just seems ridiculous, but I I think that you just touched on a minute ago there. One of the reasons why I feel that I will never reach that point, which is I have an almost infinite curiosity about older movies as well, because there are so many movies right. that I haven't seen yet and I want to. I mean, I'm you know I'm out there championing uh, these really obscure movies from the 30s and 40s that were in their in their day and time were completely overlooked or or look, or looked down upon quite honestly things like the right. falcon films the crime doctor films you know film series the all all the saint movies all of those movies that were just these things that in our day and time are television series mm-hmm. you know they, that's what they would be but at those times they made you know 10 different movies mm-hmm. featuring this same character even if we had to suddenly swap out actors you mm-hmm. know mm-hmm.
2: You know, bringing bringing up, you know, I think a couple of points. So, what you're talking about is it's interesting. Where, on the one hand, you can look at say a movie that you saw through the eyes of a 11 year old, mm-hmm. and then you, on all of a sudden, you're looking at it through the eyes of somebody who's in their 50s or the 60s, you know, your your 60s, and it's like it's a very different experience, and we we find different ways to appreciate old movies and yeah, you get an organization or a, a network like Turner Classics which is extraordinarily popular and they're very clever about how they market themselves, but there's there's so much value there I, I do tend to go back there a lot like say, I'll give you an example for Valentine's Day my wife and I have kind of found we, we have two movies that we settle on for holidays, one of them for Christmas is a movie that Heard of classics kind of discovered and it was um you know it was one uh oh my gosh what was it um now the the title is escaping me but it was a movie that was kind of lost for a while um and it had uh, a, a number of vagrants who oh um, found-
3: it happened on fifth avenue
2: that's it. Thank you. You know, it has Dom DeFore and it has Victor McLaughlin and it's, and it's a fun little movie. And, and I think it resurfaced around 2010. We watch it every year. It's a great movie. And, and we, great movie. and we found uh, you know, so we found another movie. I'm a big William Powell fan. Mm-hmm. Um, and yes, uh, yeah. we found a movie with William Powell and Myrna Loy that's called love crazy that the, the network shows every every Valentine's Day, so it's kind of become our movie, and it's, and it's your kind of stereotypical screwball comedy, but every time I watch it I, I notice something different, it's like, you know what, this movie's a lot of fun and there's, there's a lot of stuff in here that I haven't seen it enough Because I forget this stuff. You know, it's like, it's one of those movies you you forget until you watch it again. And it's like you got the scene where somebody's slipping on a rug. Or you got the guy who is shooting an arrow. Or you, you got William Powell going to the sanitarium, you know. But, you know, you get these older movies, which are fun to watch, which inform movies that are being made now and we know that filmmakers are watching these kinds of things and of course we're looking at it with our experience as well and i i look at movies now that you you know and i I feel like you know there are definitely a lot of movies that are being made that are really interesting films to look at and and as much as as it's fun to go back but there are movies that whether we know it or not it may become a classic you know and 20 years later it's like okay i'm going to be watching this movie again like you, you know you you hold up a movie like uh 2001 a space odyssey mm-hmm. okay a sci-fi mo- mm-hmm. movies go my wife can't bear to watch it you know? <laughs> oh
3: I, yeah because and i can un- i can understand it's not for everybody yeah it's like yeah, I, yeah. I,
2: I never get tired of mm-hmm. it it's like i got a dvd I got a Blu-ray. Yeah. <laughs> she, yeah. Oh, yeah. She she bought me the Blu-ray. You know, it's like, it's a movie. It's what? It's over two hours. Yeah. And it's like, when and I it watch slowed. it, it feels like it's 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. You know, and every time I watch it, I see something mm-hmm. different. Exactly. And I realize something different. And it's like, there are just certain movies like that, that... um you know, I keep going back to, and I just never get tired of watching that one. I tell you and, and I find myself scouring the Internet and reading books and looking for, looking for little details about it. Um, you know, I've learned a lot of stuff about it over the years. You know, and it's funny. You watch, like, uh, oh, my God, I was laughing my ass off. I showed my wife. It's like, oh, my God, there's, there's a live-action Barbie film, which is something that I probably would not... <laughs> Probably oh, watch, yeah. but it was it was an. If you guys have seen the trailer, it's this brilliant homage to 2001. And I hit, no. I fell off the couch laughing my ass off when I saw it. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's like, uh, you know, as we're all film fans, and it's like I'm really gratified that the the more I talk with you guys and I get to know you, and it's like, oh my God, you guys watch George Sanders and you're watching the Falcon, <laughs> and you're watching Jack Basil Rath. It's like you guys are talking my language, oh, well, so it's I mean, like no wonder, it, that's I, just it. no wonder I support your show. <laughs>
3: if you're really, if you're really a film fan, if you honestly are a film fan who who loves the whole the whole spread of movies, as you get older, you will simply start to seek out more and more stuff that you earlier dismissed for whatever yep. reason. Not necessarily yep. you dismissed it because you felt that you didn't like that particular genre. You may have dismissed it because, well, it's too hard to find. This is right in front of me. This is uh, didn't have time. Yeah, 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 exactly. And so, not not everybody gets as introspective and thoughtful about these films as as we sometimes do. And mm-hmm. because there's a there's a there's a moment I think that a lot of, of film fans get to where they start to realize that they're watching a movie at a you know they're watching a movie for uh, the umpteenth time. But they're older now, and the film is saying something new to them. It's the same movie. The movie's not changed in any way, shape, or form, but suddenly it's saying something to them that's very different from what it said to them at a younger time. And for me, the film that changed the most for me as I aged and made me start looking at other movies... In the same way, to see how my perceptions of what it's presenting to me changed over time was the Wild Bunch because that's the quintessential oh, yeah. movie mm-hmm. that men, boys can get boys. Let's say let's say someone in their teenage years who would be really enthralled with it because of everything on the surface. It is so impressive, yeah. Oh yeah, in so many different ways. As oh, yeah. as a, a, an adventure film, a violent heartfelt adventure film. And all of the stuff that you pick up on just the surface level is very effective and it keys into all those things because even as a teenager, even as a kid, you understand that brotherhood feeling that leads those men to do the thing they do at the end of the film. It makes mm-hmm. sense on an emotional level and on every other level that the film already presents itself is. But as you age, as you get older, the things that movie is saying to you about... Life, Things that you you don't pay that much attention to when you're a kid as you listen to these men who are in middle age and are realizing that they cannot continue to do what they've been doing for decades of their lives. Those conversations start to be the core of why you're enjoying the movie when you're moving into middle age. All those other things are still there. But now what's getting foregrounded in your viewing of it at a different time in your life Is something that's a little more deep. It's a little more introspective. It's a little more interesting as a theme for why you're paying attention to the story. And that's just that that is uh, that is why so many films are so that, that some of them are. There are some movies that are wonderful puzzle boxes. Yep. And and those wonderful puzzle boxes. Once you've seen the end of the puzzle, some movies you feel like, okay, well, that was satisfying, but you don't ever really necessarily feel the pull to go back and re-experience the puzzle box because you remember... The ending was so impressive that you remember it, and so you're kind of always being informed by your knowledge of how the thing ends. But... You know, it really
2: strikes me that you picked The Wild Bunch because that that's a special one for me ah. um, because when I saw it at a younger age... Um, yes the ending stood out but when i got older i had an opportunity to see it to buy tickets and see it in a theater me too it was during yeah, yeah. one of the revivals yeah. and it was at the uptown in washington dc which was like a huge screen and the selling point was that they had inserted some scenes that previously had been not included in the original presentation yeah. and it included a sequence with um, Robert Ryan and it, and it explained it yeah. explained a lot about the relationship between the, char- the two of the characters in the film and why they were so at odds with each other because there was a betrayal in there and I remember when I saw that scene and seeing it with a bunch of friends who were also big fans of the Wild Bunch and Peckinpah on a big screen and I was thinking how did this movie ever work without this scene? Yeah. Yeah, because it explains so much you know and Troy here's something you'll appreciate um, so you, uh, I know you, you guys know who Sven Gulli Go- oh, yeah. is of course mm-hmm, yeah. and it's Like, and I watch Sven Gulli and my, my wife can't she can't stand his jokes I love all the corny jokes you know and it's like I, I, I record him when you know she doesn't want to watch yeah. but a couple of weeks ago he ran the version of Godzilla yeah. the original Godzilla with Raymond Burr yeah and it was interesting because one of the things that stuck out in my memory was his commentary as Steve Martin, which yeah, yeah. I was amused by that, Steve Martin. Oh, yeah. But he talked about how Tokyo was like a, a sea of flames. And and it was really striking in that film because there were scenes where um, – and, of course, Sven would warn you. He'd warn, warn the audience that, you know, this might be a little bit upsetting because you would see, mm-hmm. you know – families women children in the street and they they'd be you know basically fried by the breath weapon and it's like presumably they died and i thought the sequences in the hospitals were very striking but you know there was a lot of stuff i had forgotten because you know my wife had made a comment or we were talking and it's like wow he's really close to the action here isn't he afraid (laughs) that he's gonna get killed and of course i had forgotten that yeah he Raymond Burr got pretty messed up yeah, yeah. his character in the movie, and it's like, you know, the original Godzilla was such a great film. I I during the fiftieth anniversary, I took my two boys to AFI Silver, Silver up in uh, Maryland, and we saw a uh, we bought tickets and we saw a special presentation of the original Godzilla with the uh, English subtitles, the way it. You know, yeah. the,
3: way you get, well, the way God intended. Yes, that's right. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, and it was, and and they were blown away. Yeah. I mean, my boys were already Godzilla films, and it's like my my youngest stepdaughter just had a a baby, the only boy in the family, and he and I watch a lot of football and hockey. And we're like, oh boy, kid, when you get old enough, <laughs> we're gonna get to the Godzilla movies, and they're <laughs> looking at me, and, and I'm like, every little boy needs to know Godzilla. Oh, yeah, yeah, of absolutely. course. It's it's just not only is it rite of passage, but he absolutely. It's like Calvin and Hobbes, you know, the joke where, you know, Calvin comes running down the stairs, you know, naked as usual, you know, and he's he sprays he sprays water over out of his mouth all over his mother, and he's like, Godzilla has vanquished Megalon, and his mother's chasing him, going, no more Saturday matinee Godzilla movies for you, young man.
3: <laughs> this is you know, this is, this is reminding me. This is reminding me that uh, this is a this is about a month ago. Beth and I went out to uh, eat dinner at a local steakhouse, and while we were waiting for, to be seated, there was this uh, this this guy with his son and his daughter, and the, the son and daughter were both in their uh, they look they look to be in their late teens, and I was wearing a t shirt I have, which is uh, which is a, a wonderful depiction of Ultraman fighting Godzilla. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh uh, yeah. Which is this is a great piece of art? And um, Bob Eggleton, I think. And, yeah, uh, the, yeah, yeah. And so uh, uh, the uh, the father went. Man, I, I love your I love your T shirt. That's that's mm-hmm. amazing. That's great. And uh, we got into a conversation because Beth and I had just like a week before gone to see Shin uh, Shin Ultraman. Yeah. in the theater.
1: Oh yeah, the, I the heard. New yeah, Ultraman yeah, movie. yeah, I heard about it's that. It's uh, really good
3: turns out that both he and his son are massive Godzilla fans and so we ended up in this conversation that we were then upset when they called us and we were able to go to our tables we were just like oh crap and then later on it turns out as we're as we're leaving the place they see they've spotted my car which has a Godzilla sticker on it on the back <laughs> Wow and we realize we, we get into a conversation then as we're leaving and we realize that we live, just a few townhouses down from them,
0: <laughs> oh, because
3: wow. they recognized the back of my car, having driven past it before. Oh wow! You know what? This this stuff this stuff lives on, and it, it mm. draws people yes, together. It, it draws yeah, friends a, together. Yeah.
2: yes, it does. It's timeless, and it makes connections. And yeah, it's isn't it amazing? You know, it, we really do live. I, I, I mean, I've I've heard people say it. You've said it. We live in an age of wonders. Mm. It's true. And it, and it really is true, and and Godzilla is eternal. Oh yes.
3: Absolutely. Oh wait, yeah. That that will yeah. That's. I don't know if they realized what they were creating in 1954, but uh, that's no, it's they, never going to go had, away. It's it's all. Oh, they had
2: no idea, and yeah. you know, and it's funny how. Gosh, we could do a whole show on godzilla and
3: yes we could how
2: i I have sentimental attachments to the oddest godzilla movies like godzilla versus the smog monster oh
1: Oh, you would you would first one first one i saw in the theater yeah yeah and it's like
2: yeah (laughs) it's like uh read about it in famous monsters of film man gotta see it you know and then it took many 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 years to to track it down where i could see it where all the you know uh, there were a lot of edits in the versions that I had seen, mm-hmm. you know, and I've seen a lot of versions, a lot of other versions, and you know, it's 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 just such an oddball film. Oh, I yeah. mean, it's funny, you know, even going back to uh, talking Japanese stuff, you know, how many of us haven't didn't grow up on Speed Racer? You know, and well, I, I never, least, I
3: never saw Speed Racer until you I was didn't an adult. see Speed. All right, no.
2: so you're younger. Yeah. Okay, so you guys are younger yeah. than I yeah. am. Well, no, right, it's not so. that.
3: I, I have to explain this to people sometimes. I grew up where the 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 TV stations that I was seeing when I was a kid uh, came out of Chattanooga, and there are a lot of things that my friends who lived in the Nashville area. Got to see on different stations that I never got to see. They just were not rebroadcast. Oh, when I was you were a kid. deprived. But see, yeah. we didn't,
1: but see, even we didn't get to see the like. I still I get jealous then when I talk to people who got to see Ultraman growing up. I never saw. They never. Saw, I did. Never yeah, showed. I did. I did. Nashville never showed. I I, I, saw, yeah. I got to see. I got to see Dark Shadows. Growing no, we up. got to see Dark Shadows. We did get to see Dark Shadows. We saw Dark.
2: Uh, yeah, we run home to see Dark Shadows. That was huge. But I saw Ultraman growing up. Wow.
1: And you probably Speed saw, Racer. You probably saw space which was, Giants. You probably saw Space Giants. Oh, Space See, Giants. We could it. do a whole show on that. Never Holy saw we didn't get any Japanese television at all until we got the UHF channels and then it was still only the anime. That's when we got Speed Racer. Speed Racer was the first anime that I saw, but it was not until uh, I was already I almost I was already probably my early teens. So they did show that and they showed uh, space, you know, Star Blazers and they showed uh, you know, uh, battle. Uh, what battle for oh, the battleship
3: no? Yamato? Yeah,
1: right. Which was Star Blazers. Oh, here is yeah, what yeah, 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 So, yeah. so we still only saw, but we never saw any live action Japanese stuff. Never saw. Yeah, I done. was lucky. Stuff I, I
2: I grew up outside of Philadelphia, so mm-hmm. in the, in the early '70s, so. We had Ultraman. I was about
3: to say you we probably had, had five channels. You probably had two. UHFs oh yeah, we channels. had a lot of yeah.
2: those UHF channels. So we had we had Speed Racer. Speed Racer, I brought up because apparently the Japanese versions were so much more violent. Like say you'd have somebody dunked in a river in the Amazon, and like the skeleton would pop up because the piranhas would eat them. You know, and it's like they would edit that stuff out. <laughs> but you know, in Philly, it was funny because. When I was publishing a fanzine, I think I told the story in my editorial in the my first editorial, where we were deeply affected by uh, we we had our you know everybody's got their own local horror show host and we had Doctor Shock and mm-hmm. Screaming right mm-hmm. and he would he would show movies and in the and this was probably uh, pre god it had to be pre-1975 before i moved to virginia and i remember my friend daryl and i we were watching dr shock one night and they were running mad doctor of blood island oh yeah with John Ashford, right? <laughs> and it's like and the sensor i guess was like off duty <laughs> because like i remember we we're like okay hello it's like they forgot to cut all the nudity out <laughs> Oh, nice! and it's just like a broadcast tv on vhs and like my friend daryl's like well wait 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 what <laughs> what the heck is it well hello <laughs> you know so it was like it was sort of like awesome. our introduction to like exploitation cinema, I guess, yeah. at a tender young age. Huh.
3: Oh well, hold on a minute, folks. We've got one more letter here before we before we wander off into the far distance. Okay. <laughs> All right, yeah, we're
2: in the weeds again <laughs> as <laughs> we are, usual. We are.
3: We are. Uh, this is from uh, who is this from? This is from Al in Italy. Mm. Wow. Okay. It says hello, uh, Al. Yeah, he says. Hey Rod, in the latest episode, Hunchback with uh, Bob Sargent, you talked about your new appreciation for musicals. In the 80s, when my grandmother visited, she would make me watch them with her on AMC, and I was sure that I hated them. Then one evening, years later, I stumbled across Little Abner from 1959 while flipping through the channels. Uh It's the film version of a Broadway show based on the old comic strips, so I probably never would have seen it otherwise and it blew me away. It was a very wow. yeah, it was a very entertaining story, catchy songs, great dancing, amazing costumes, nudge nudge, and memorable cameos by Julie Newmar and Stella Stevens. Wow. Yeah. There's even Valerie Harper long before Rhoda in a bit part and she is super cute. She was. And wow. I can't recommend it enough. Al in Italy. P.S. In case you haven't seen it yet and can't find it, you can get it here. And he pr- he posts a-, a link to it. Now, here's the thing. I have only recently become really, really curious about Lil Abner, and it has nothing to do with Al's recommendation. It is because uh, just recently, uh, Troy participated in uh, recording an episode uh, wrapped around the 1970 film Puffin Stuff.
1: Yeah. Yeah oh my gosh <laughs> yes
3: indeed where we relived along with a few friends uh, including beth the uh childhood trauma for me that was hr puffin stuff <laughs> and we talked about the 1970 movie that grew out of that tv series and of course the incredible actress who played witchy poo on that show witchy poo. <laughs> yeah. oh my god that's billy hayes she became a major broadway star because she wow. she was in the the uh, the Broadway production of Little Abner and also made the leap to the film version as well in '59. Uh, she was in that. Yeah, she. Uh, oh, and she's. I, uh, uh, I'm sold. Yeah. Oh yeah yeah yeah. Well, that's just
1: it. I immediately yeah, she needs an Oscar for her role in Puff and stuff. She's amazing. <laughs> she was amazing in that. Puff
2: and stuff. Did Did you guys see the Paul Lynn special? Oh yes. Oh yeah. Oh
1: it's my had god! And, and, uh, had her and Margaret Hamilton as the. Uh, mm-hmm. the oh, something I, something yes. I forgot
3: to mention. Uh, and the one you know, when we were kiss, recording were the podcast. We were this? recording the podcast about the movie. Yeah. The reason that uh, one of the reasons, at least, that uh, Billy Hayes as Witchy Poo turned up in the Paul Lind, uh uh, Halloween special is because she and Paul Lynn worked together in the 50s on stage. Oh, they knew wow. each other way back.
1: Wow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, there was a connection wow. there. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: So it, it, I I I don't know what the behind the scenes, you know, negotiations were like, but the two of them had worked on stage together. As as far back as the early 50s or even the late 40s, I'm not I'm not completely wow. positive, but yeah, they were huh. old they were old friends from the stage. That's cool. And I, I completely forgot to mention that bit when we were recording the Puffin Stuff show. So an extra tidbit here, children. Yeah. Thank
2: you. <laughs> wait, wait. Is, is the Puffin Stuff show in the can?
3: Oh yeah yeah yeah. It's, it's it's complete I'll- yeah.
2: Oh, I I got is that available? I, I got to listen to it. It's
3: not. I've not released it yet. The world has not yet heard us babbling about that film yet.
2: Cuz I I've been following you on that like a stalker. And <laughs> and I saw the guy who posted something about how they used the Puffin stuff song as like an interrogation device. <laughs> yes. I was
1: like, "Wow.
2: Can you imagine?" <laughs> Being sleep deprived and then like they hit you with that.
3: The thing is, I, the whole the whole score for uh, for the Puffin Stuff movie, I've been playing on a loop for like two weeks now.
1: <laughs> I,
2: I'm dating yeah. myself, but I saw that show back in the day. I I yeah. used to watch it like like the banana. I like I like watch the banana splits Oh, me too. Yeah. From, yeah. Mm-hmm. But Puffin Stuff, it's like all of that stuff. It's like man. Back in the day, Saturday morning used
1: to really be for kids. It was yeah. amazing, amazing time, it truly was. Y- you know, and oh, I if, mean, if, if, and if I you remember, want a
3: surprise, like, if you want, if you want to really feel something neat, there is someone, maybe a couple of someone's, who have been reconstructing entire Saturday morning lineups and putting them on YouTube. So oh there'll be a like a three and a half hour or four hour long. Ooh, holy shit! Uh, uh, know, what YouTube? YouTube video where they have gone out of their way to construct or as close as they can, reconstruct like a 1969 Saturday morning.
1: Like with commercials too? and everything. Co- Yeah, and oh they, they,
3: they're they folding commercials into it where they can find them as what? well. Yeah. Man, that sounds oh, amazing. you got to
2: send me the link. You mean like Frankenstein Jr.
3: Yeah, and the yeah, Impossible? Yeah. Stuff wow. like that? Really? Yeah, I'm not kidding. That sounds holy. Herculoid. I, I have spotted uh well the thing is it's like I've got the Herculoid. I, I bought the Herculoids on on <laughs> on D V D or Blu-ray and there's a lot of these uh, oh, oh, oh I'm a, I'm a Herculoids free
2: oh, yeah. from oh, yeah, I love the Herculoids.
3: But the but the real the real fun for me is uh Beth and I started poking around. There's like a there was one they they reconstructed a morning I forget which uh which network it was for, but it's like one for nineteen sixty nine. And then I spotted one for 1982,
1: one for 1977. Oh my god, I didn't
3: know anything uh, about these. Yeah, yeah, it's just one of those things where you're just sitting there going, "Oh, holy hell!" And it's like I'm afraid to go down that. I'm afraid to go down that wormhole completely because it's like oh, each one just- of them is, is an entire morning where it's sure. a minimum of three and a half hours in length. And-
2: I would invest that time. <laughs> you know, it, I, I I have a story to tell you. So, like you, you guys, you, you, well, from. The Facebook group, but and and beyond, you know David Zazzello, right? Yes, yeah, so, of Known him forever. Great guy. And he and I used to do a lot of gaming together on Xbox. Okay. And we used to play a, uh, we used to goof around with a uh, well various games, but there was a fairly large group, fair a, a fair group of us who would play a game called Gears of War. But I would cut myself off at midnight because they would know it's like all right, gotta go. Cartoon Network it's Herculoids time this, <laughs> this was this would be during the 2000s and it's like I would sign it's like I gotta go, sign off and I would go watch the Herculoids and it's like you know it's like uh, you know I was raising small children it's like I'd have to get up at six in the morning to start <laughs> making them breakfast and it's like well I didn't care. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, it's like I had to watch the Herculoids. And it's like, and of course, you know, I had all of that stuff on VHS tape. And oh, yeah. I, and I think, I, I forget who it was, Hanna-Barbera, or I got it through Amazon. They had a an on-demand kind of mm-hmm. DVD-R thing, which which actually had some pretty nice packaging. And I, I picked up the Herculoids, and they actually had a... What was the other one? Space Ghost. Yeah. Oh, god, was it?
1: Space Ghost. Yeah.
2: Which and they had uh, the all the episodes of Dino Boy, which mm-hmm. I actually forgotten about, and I was like Dino Boy, and I looked at those and was like, Holy crap, I remember these.
3: <laughs> oh well, I'll tell you this: the real, the real kick in the face is realization. It's like I bought the. Uh, Frankenstein Junior DVD set, and it's like it's a real oh, joy a to show. the Frankenstein, Frankenstein Junior stuff is great. But what you forget is how lame the other shows, the other the other cartoons that were linked with the <laughs> Frankenstein Junior show. Where you're just like, oh Jesus, okay, we're we're skipping this. I'm not watching this shit again. <laughs> the, the the thing, oh, with like, the, yeah. the, like well, vapor well, vapor man or whatever. It's like, oh God, I'm out of here, man.
2: <laughs> well, Hanna Barbera was so funny because you know they. They had some triumphs, and then they had some massive fails. Oh, yes.
3: yes, indeed.
2: <laughs> you know, and it's like, okay, you know, when we start hitting stuff like Jabberjaw, who sounded like <laughs> Curly from the first stages. Like, they
3: could still pull yeah, the occasional cool of... thing out, though. Even into the 80s, they could pull out something like Thunder the Barbarian, which is just amazing. Oh,
2: Thundar yeah. was great, because yeah. you had a... Was that... Jack Kirby? Yeah, he, he, did, he did
3: the initial character design, yeah.
2: Yo, man, Thunder R was great. Was That that was 80s, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, that was early 80s. Oh, Thunder R was so awesome. Awesome. Because uh, back in the 80s, when I was like, I had gotten out of high school and was still in college, and we were doing uh, I had a huge group of friends, we were doing like uh, those uh, role play games, you yeah. know, like Dungeons and Dragons, that kind of stuff. And you had uh, science fiction games. And I guess there was one that had come out, I think it was called like Metamorphosis Alpha, and we, we latched onto that. that. That
3: was a TSR game, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah.
2: Right, exactly. And one of those, yeah, it was like uh, James Ward, who I, I think is still around. And it's like, I, I actually, I have never had contact with him, but I always kind of admired his writing. But yeah, it's like... Thundar was something that kind of informed a lot of our games (laughs) when we were doing that stuff back in the day. It's like kind of early ruined earth kind of stuff in the late 70s. Probably probably about the same time Lucio Fulci was getting into doing like uh, like post-nukers and like apocalyptic kind of movies.
3: Yeah, those are some fun movies there.
2: Oh yeah, and and you could still see stuff like that in the theater, which I, I actually used to go. Oh we, oh, oh we hold on here,
3: like, let me oh, let me, let me reference back, me. back to the to the email. Uh, I have yeah. over the past few weeks, I've realized that I desperately now want to see Little Abner myself. But the damn thing, okay. I thought I thought it was going to be one of those things where it's like, oh, I'll I'll probably just lay out twenty bucks and get the Blu-ray. The damn thing isn't on Blu-ray.
2: It's not. No. I'll bet you could. I'll bet you'll find it in a Turner Classics if you wait a couple of months. Uh,
3: maybe so, maybe so. But it's one of those things where there's there's some kind of not particularly great looking uh, DVDs of it out there, and yeah, I'm just kind of right. like, how can this thing with yeah. how can it not be? I mean, this huge. Is it public domain? I, no, I don't. I don't like, think it's public domain. But I do think that whatever's you, you out there think, is, is kind of striding yeah, the line. Because there yeah, was a. You would
2: think somebody would renew the rights on that. And he mentioned Stella Stevens. Didn't she just pass like a day ago?
3: Yeah, I think I just saw something yesterday about Stella Stevens passing away. Yeah. yeah oh, right.
1: Raquel and Raquel Welch, Raquel Welch
2: oh. earlier this oh, week. Oh, yeah. man. Raquel Welch. Holy crap. Yeah. Y- you know, she was the one. Uh, when I first saw One Million Years B.C., that was when I realized that I had male hormones. Yes. I was like, holy <laughs> crap. <laughs> oh, yeah, you cool. know, it was funny because I was at one of the fandex shows, and Martine Beswick, who's also in One Million Years B.C., yeah. she was so great. Yeah. She was such a great guest, and she was so much fun. And I, I went to one of her panels or interviews, and they were talking to her, and she's she was talking about One Million Years B.C., and you know she was like the bad girl mm-hmm. cave girl, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> Which I loved her, oh, so <laughs> I always loved her for that kind of stuff. And she's like, Oh, yeah, you know, Raquel. Well, she's got like a custom made, you know, fur bikini, and I, I got this little rag. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what she said, she, she got to wear this little rag. And it's like, you know, Martina was so funny because you would see her. This was in Baltimore, and it's like you would see her at a convention. She was everywhere, and she's so recognizable. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was so great because seeing her, you know, at, at her age at the time, and she always had some, you know, toy boy you know, <laughs> attached to her. He might as well have had a leash around it. <laughs> some, some young, you know, Adonis 20-year-old guy, you know, and it's like, Hey, you know what? What the heck? Let the girl have some fun. Oh, yeah, oh well, of yeah, course. Yeah. Well,
1: it's funny that she. But she
2: was she the the Fanex guests were so awesome, because, but they were really into the Fanex stuff. But Martine was great. They've had Carolyn Monroe, yeah. who was a great guest. Um, you know, she she I actually had some interaction with her, and we talked about Howl of the Devil, which was fun. She she asked me an awkward question because she said, "What did you think of the rape scene?" Oh yes. And, and I was like, oh, uh, well, it worked, <laughs> you know, you know, sort of like, yeah, yeah Well, as a plot device, you know, it was another one of those things. I don't know how I would rank it up there with uh, the rape scene from uh, Frankenstein must be destroyed, that it had to be in the film. But, you know, but. It, 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 again, it did serve the purpose, unlike. Orloff and the Invisible Man, that we were talking about earlier in the evening.
3: <laughs> and he's brought it full circle. We have. People. Back to Orloff to and the there Invisible you go. Man. you can, You, you can always
2: count on me.
3: <laughs> oh, my Lord. The many loves of Professor Orloff. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Folks, you know, we're going to have to pinch it off there. I hate to put it yep. that way, mm-hmm. uh, but yep. the. Uh, we, I just we, want to say, if,
1: if those of you who, if, if, if for listeners who made it to this point with us, yes, uh, please let us, us know so we can send you a merit merit badge. <laughs> before, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes,
2: you, you can get the survivor. You, you can get these Trash survivor. Nearly
3: badges. nearly three hours of cinema babble <laughs>
2: <laughs> from us. Well, and I have one last thing to leave you guys. Just like I said. I just want to leave you with this, King of Kong Island with Brad Harris. <laughs> <laughs> see, seed has been
1: planted. I believe. Uh, I believe we're gonna.
2: You know, if you ever decide that you want to do a
3: podcast on that,
1: I am your man. Uh, I hey, think
3: you may have talked us into it. You said it.
1: three things that stuck with us: uh, King of Kong Island, uh, Santo series, and uh, Godzilla discussion. So uh, you know, we've, we've, I, we've
2: done. I am so happy. I am so happy I can influence you guys in my small way because you got, you're busy guys. Well, we've uh, had
1: we've had several episodes on we've we've done we've some done bloody good episodes stuff, on yeah. Godzilla. In fact, we did one on uh, Godzilla vs. Smog Monster, so uh, you should go back and oh. dig that one up. Bye. Yeah, yeah, uh, we did a, we
3: did an entire series that was was a brilliant idea from Troy. We did a series that we we called controversial kaiju. He picked a, he picked out the films, and each film was controversial for different reasons. Of course. But uh, that's where uh, that's where Smog Monster came into play.
2: Oh, I gotta listen to those because it's like there there are some really um, I don't want to say they're bad Godzilla movies, but they're ones that are. how, how do I they're say different, it?
3: I, they're differently abled. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's, it's
2: like, if you haven't covered them, oh my God. It's like, do I ever enjoy them? <laughs>
3: <laughs> okay. Well, folks, we just want to go ahead and say thank you once again to Bob for yes, joining
2: thanks, us. Yes, thanks, Bob. It's been great as it's always. It's been a pleasure. I, I always enjoy it.
3: And uh, we'd like to remind everybody that if you want to send in your thoughts on what the hell we were talking about, which... Mm. Boy, did we cover some territory this time around. <laughs> e- I'll say, and then some. <laughs> the email address is nashicast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. And uh, let's just say, uh, man, we may, not get to, we may not get an episode out uh, for a couple of months, but when we do, it is
1: a doozy. I mean, it's a, yes, it is worth waiting for. So, Good uh, Lord, <laughs> yes.
3: <laughs> so once again, Bob, thank you very much. My pleasure, guys. Always,
2: always a pleasure, anytime.
3: And, okay, so we'll say good night to everybody. Goodbye. Uh, my name is Rod Barnett. I'm Troy Gwynn. And we will talk to you again soon.
2: Adios, everybody. <laughs>